Ladies and gentlemen, what you are about to hear, what you are about to experience is an unprecedented audio experience heard for the first time on the Collegian Airways, the airways of radio in general, across the great country of the United States and the great world that we live in. For the next two hours, the hottest takes and the history of sports talk radio will be heard behind these various four microphones from uttered by various individuals. I'm Luke Wiggs. Dad's back. <laughs> All right. Dude. I had people asking me, it's like, I, I heard that you were missing and you were abducted. I was listening to the show last week and, and people said that you were being held against your will. That is not the case because I got to go see the Wizards win. I would have pressed charges against we, Ethan. We investigated. We, we I would have pressed charges against Ethan if it had been a loss. By the way. We, we confirmed your whereabouts before we cleared the air. By the way, Ethan uh, Collins, friend of the program, wanted to take the non-tollway home from uh, Cleveland. So I was like, all right, fine. We got there. It adds an extra Cheapskate. 45 minutes to the drive. Gross. And I'm like, $4 in tolls, get home at 1 in the morning as opposed to 2. I feel like there's an easy choice here. Noted fun hater, Ethan Collins. <laughs> After his Cavaliers had gotten spanked by my Washington Wizards. Here's the deal. I'm thrilled for this show, not just because I'm back. As he, as Daniel likes to say, "Dad's back" or "Daddy," if you so choose. Whoa, um, that's not where we, we were get going. to <laughs> for the first time. It's not remotely where we were going. <laughs> we get to for the first time. Not an unironic. Luke Wiggs wants to bring them up because why not? We'll talk about the Wizards tonight because for the first time since I've been here, the Wizards are worth talking about in a good way. I'm thrilled. I mean, we talked about them last week. Oh dang it! Well, I, I didn't get to listen. I was the watching. Consensus TV. wasn't high. Oh, okay. Well, well, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. Uh, we also have our first... Did you guys do college basketball last week as yes. well? Okay, I say I wanted to listen to the show and I didn't get to. I heard that it was unprecedented uh, Coach's Hot Seat gameplay yesterday, or last, last week. I heard that that yeah. was... Logan Moore's back. I'm back. Time. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, Tanner's going to look to pick up some pieces here and try to get back in contention, if you will. Uh, talk about college basketball, college football, the NFL, the NBA. Very quickly, we mentioned high school football to begin the show. Uh, we won't have to talk about much as the weeks hey. goes on. Morgantown, first-round exit. Trinity, first-round exit. Clavatel, first-round exit. So we were correct with our initial synopsis that all four Montegalia teams could get in. Unfortunately, three of their postseason hopes are stopped short. University's the four seed. They play five-seeded Cabell Midland this Friday up at Baker's Ridge at 7.30. I like the Hawks in this game a lot. I know a lot of people across the state prefer Cabell Midland and the fact that they've run for freaking three or 4,000 yards this year. They've thrown less than 30 passes, though. The interesting uh, word is there's a decent chance University's going to have their starting quarterback back. We'll have to wait and see for the official ruling. Um, anything to add to that? No. All right. That uh, the expectation that I've seen is Chase Edwards will be I've back. I've heard that as well. So – I mean, then things become interesting. I mean, it's not a guarantee. I, I like the Hawks considerably. We obviously don't have lines for high school football, but I would say university minus six and a half would be what I would put out there. Um, but then you got to go to Huntington. Tough. Tough. If you win, obviously you got to get past Cabell I would Midland. take Cabell Midland against the six and a half point spread. Would you? Okay. 
I, I, again, it's going to be close because they, they it's like the Mohawk Bowl, but they're a little bit better than Morgantown High. Uh, but with that being said, we'll update you. I think a little bit might be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Morgantown High fell at Bridgeport. Uh, James Monroe beat Trinity. And then Richie County, the Rebels, who, by the way, hot take, if we had more time to talk about high school football, they're now my class single-A favorite. If they get to play Wheeling Central on what was uh, a questionable field at best, uh, they're my class single-A favorite. Uh, so we will talk about University Capital Midland next week because Daniel and I will both be there on Friday. If uh, We will be signing autographs. Feel free to come by and say hello. We're going to take a very quick break when we return. The second college basketball segment of the year comes your way as you're listening to the Sports Page, 91.7 FM, U92. Ever wanted to get into college radio or just get your voice out there? The Moose is always hiring volunteers. All are welcome. Just visit u92themoose.com and at the menu, click Staff and Contact or Join U92 The Moose. We hope to see you. When I say I'm in love, you best believe I'm in love, L-U-V. Take a walk back in time with U92's own Time Warp. Tune in as we start with the legendary founders of rock and roll from the swinging 50s. Then we move along to the psychedelic 60s to be taken through the British invasion and plenty more. We fly on over to the disco-infused 1970s to hear the origins of punk, synthesizers, and more. We touch down in the electronic 80s. Is it classic rock? U92 The Moose has you covered. This is the Time Warp. Remember to tune in every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. until noon, only on 91.7. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn, but not every child can focus on classes and play dates. Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day. And it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, and just be kids without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting tea parties. Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hi, my name is Bob, and I approve this message. I got the magic in me. Every time I touch that track, it turns into gold. Everybody knows I've got the magic in me. When I hit the floor, the girls come snapping at me. Now everybody Shout out to Bob, Rivers Cuomo, and Morgantown High School right before the tip-off of every game for the last million years. It's not that version, obviously, but they play that. Never had that explained to me. I'm just going to leave that one in the wind. All right, we don't have a ton of time. We only have about 20 minutes. Apologize. We left them short. Tanner is here. Tanner, how are you? 
Uh, I'm doing all right. How are you? All right. I haven't seen you. It's been a hot yeah, minute. Yeah. Dad is back. I'm going to say that <laughs> at the start of each segment. Um, so I understand that we went through the, the Power Six conferences, if you will, for college basketball last week. Uh, we're going to spend a significant amount of time specifically looking at the Big 12, and then we're going to go through some rapid fire. Some of this will be stuff you heard last week. I apologize. Back in the big chair, I said it for the second time, for the final time. All right, uh, Dave. We're going to bring up some of this stuff again, but I'm just kind of curious to get your guys' thoughts um, as things goes on. All right, we're going to look at the Big 12 specifically for the next 10 minutes. Um, I've got three men we've pulled up. Love three men we've. Yes. Daniel uh, introduced three them men to weave. me. They're phenomenal. Their work. Jim um, Root, uh, Kai McEwen. Uh, I don't what's Matt's last name. Crap. Never mind. Move Matt, on. Matt, Matt. Uh, so he, they do this conference by tiers, Tanner. I'll begin with your thoughts on this. They see the Big 12 as a three-tier conference. Okay. Uh, Kansas and Texas alone at the top. Then Matt Cox. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, tier two of Baylor, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Oklahoma and I'm, State. Excuse me. And I'm reading these teams in order. Then tier three, Oklahoma, TCU, Kansas State, and Iowa State. Fair assessment? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Um, really, that's tough to disagree with. I mean, maybe, you know, you could put another team at the top there, uh, but I, I'm not going to. That sounds good enough for me. All right. Honestly. So let's poke some holes in this now, Daniel. Let's begin with Kansas at the top. All right. I don't love the Big 12 this year as much as I've loved it in years past, and I'll explain my points why as we go through, but we'll begin with Kansas at the top. Oshai Agbaji has supposed to have been an NBA lottery pick since the time he's been here. Obviously, they got him and uh, uh, Remy Martin, who's transferred in as well, uh, and David McCormick, who some people, if I'm correct, have picked to be the conference player of the year. No. Uh, am I not correct in saying that people you are correct in saying say. that those people are wrong? Okay, so this is a starting lineup. Uh, they also got the Drake transfer. Jalen Wilson's come in as well, so um, uh, they've got a lot of scoring. Uh, but I just don't see this being this is our Kansas team that's going to go out and do battle with Duke and do battle with Kentucky and be a legitimate national champion contender because, again, to go back to the three-man weave, if I'm correct, they have them as the number two team overall. I just don't yeah, see There's it. a lot of people that are high on this Kansas team. I came into the year thinking they were overrated at two. I think they're overrated at two. I was impressed with their performance against Michigan State, but I don't necessarily know that Michigan State's going to be what we expected them to be. I, I think Kansas is a top ten team. I'm not ready to call them a top two team, that's for sure. Uh, McCormick, people like him. He put up numbers last year. I just don't get it. I, I don't. I don't get what's so cohesive about his game. Uh, he's he's good over either shoulder. He's not much else. Uh, Agbaji is not going to get you 25 points a night, even though he started off the season that way. Uh, beyond that, Jalen Wilson does some good things. He can put the ball in the basket. Uh, but again, he's limited in what he's able to do. He has several things that he's good at, not much else. Um, Remy Martin can put the ball in the hoop. But again, Bill Self is going to try to rein his game in compared to what it was at Arizona State, and I don't know if he's going to be able to do that in the big moments. I still think when it comes down to the wire and, and you're in a five-point game in Big 12 play, those types of games that are going to decide the difference between who wins this conference, I think Remy Martin's just going to defer to being a gunner again. So I just don't necessarily love how the pieces fit together. I've never been a big Christian Brown guy. I don't think he's a particularly good shooter, and that's the swing skill for him. Uh, he's a quality defender. He'll muscle up and rebound over somebody, uh, but I just don't love him as a player. And then you go to the bench, and there's not a whole lot there. Mitch Lightfoot is there, and he's 39. He so I, in fact, I, 39. I just don't know what to do with this Kansas team. Uh, the The first five isn't bad, but I don't think they fit together particularly well, and I don't think there's a whole lot behind them. Anything to add to that, Tanner? 
I mean, that, that, uh, that's about as in-depth as you're going to get here in about 15 seconds. Um, Kansas, they want to prove themselves that last year was just an anomaly, I guess. So, I mean, they, they've got a lot to play for. Um, Bill Self is a good coach. You may not agree with his recruiting style, like most people. But <laughs> um, I, I think that Kansas is going to be able to score some points, and their defense is going to be better than it was last year. So I, I still think it's too early in the season to you know say that they're not going to be this great. But, but I can understand what Daniel's saying. All right, here's the other team I want to pick a bone with. We'll spend some more time on these top two teams before we go through the rest of the conference. Obviously, we can squi- uh, skip West Virginia. Uh, Texas, I just don't get it. I'll I don't start. Either. I'll start. I, I okay, good. Agree. And I understand Daniel. I mean, I, they're yeah. the most talented team in the conference. Okay, by far. well, let me make my point. I'll go to Tanner and I'll, get, I'll go to you. Here's, here's, my, here's where I stand. Chris Beard's coming in. I get right. that. But there's only two players on this team that are over six foot seven, and they're both transfers in from lesser programs. Marcus Carr, I love. I love. I do. Coming in from Minnesota, you got a uh, is it Desu? Is that how you say his name from Vanderbilt? Desu, excuse Dylan me. Dilan Desu. You got a UMass transfer, Creighton transfer, Utah transfer, Kentucky transfer. A guy that comes over from Texas Tech with Chris Beard, and I understand he built that Texas Tech success off of transfers, but he's firing from the hip in a first year uh, with a team that's lost a lot of NBA talent. Now I think we would all agree that Sims and Brown and Jones are all better suited for the NBA than they are for college basketball yeah. because we all talked about their deficiencies as, prog- uh, as prospects. But you lost some Greg big... Greg Brown was a horrific college basketball sure, player. Sure, but you lose a lot of talent. You're replacing it with transfers from lesser programs. It takes a little while to build. I'm just, I, I, I get that I said that this is a down year for the Big 12, but I just don't understand why we're handing the baton. Shaka Smart, I think, was a great coach, and it took him a while, a good coach. It took him a while to do things at Texas, and I think it's going to take Chris Beard a little bit to do the same. Right, I don't think this, uh, this is going to be a first-year Big 12 title Final Four appearance for Texas. Uh, you know, last week, Daniel and Ben kept you know, saying how Texas is going to be coach of the year, player of the year, everything. I, I don't think that that's going to end up being the case. I'll, I'd be surprised if it is. Uh, like you said, I mean, three out of their starting five are all transfers in in a first-year program under new head coach Chris Beard, who is a great coach. That's all fine. But it's still his first year. It's going to be very tough to go out and be that successful in year number one at a brand-new program with all of these new guys. So, Daniel, seven of their top – 12-ish players from rotations or transfers. Uh, by the way, who did you, if you said the Big 12 player of the year is going to come from this team, who is it? Marcus Carr. Okay. Uh, uh, I don't want to fight you there because I do like Marcus Carr. But I'll give you a chance to defend Texas. Honestly, I just think that if it gels uh, from a team chemistry perspective, there's, not, there's no stopping this team simply just because they have all of the pieces to be an extremely good team. Marcus Carr, bucket getter. Timmy Allen, bucket getter. Timmy Allen is the good version of his brother. Mm. Timmy Allen is a unique player at 6'6". It's going to set up in the mid-post. He's going to knock down mid-range jumpers. He's going to blow by bigs. Uh, he's he's just going to get buckets around the rim and, and be really good in that role. Christian Bishop, I really like coming from Creighton. He's having to play the five for them right now because DeSue's coming back from a knee injury that he suffered at Vanderbilt last year, which played into some of their issues in the game against Gonzaga over the weekend where Drew Timmy went crazy. They just didn't have the post defenders to guard him. Trey Mitchell, I think, is still adjusting to defending at this level. I think he's going to be really good. He was extremely productive at UMass. Uh, I think he's going to be a good player for them, whether it's off the bench or as a starter. The X factor this team, in my mind, is Dylan Dissou, though, Hmm. coming back from that knee injury. I get that it was at Vanderbilt. You're talking about a guy that put up 15 and 10 in the SEC last year. So... Uh, Vanderbilt wasn't very good, but he's pr- been productive at a high level. Some would argue that last year the SEC was better than the Big 12 uh, in terms of basketball quality. Uh, so uh, across the board, in my opinion, there is not a more talented team in the Big 12 than Texas. There is not a better coach 
save for maybe Bob Huggins or Bill Self in the Big 12 than Chris Beard, you've got at worst the third best coach in the Big 12 and at worst the second most talented team. That's that's a combination that I'm willing to bet on. Okay, we're going to blitz through these next couple of teams, so I'll assign a team to each of you. We'll just go back and forth. And Daniel, I'll stick with you with Baylor. Uh, you're losing a once-in-a-generation backcourt, obviously, that goes to the NBA. Uh, you get a – it's uh, – Man, I'm just struggling with names today. Akinjo comes Akinjo. in from Arizona. Akinjo just comes in from Arizona. Uh, he's not going to replace Teague Mitchell to the same extent. Matthew Mayer is somebody else that people love to take the step to potentially contend for a conference player of the year. He's a meme on this staff. I think he's going to be a fine player. Hate this bench. No returning scoring at all. You got two Dale freshmen. Bonner. Returning scoring at all. He's not returning, but you I got know. Dale Bonner. I, I was, I was going to give him a shout-out. Um, You've you got no returning scoring at all. Uh Langston Love's coming in as a freshman who I understand they want to do some things. Dale Bonner comes in from a Fairmont State program where he scored 22 points per game and averaged 5-5. Five and five. And I hope he does well. He's getting minutes, for legitimate minutes for them early He's on. He's playing about 20 minutes a game. So I'm excited. Uh, but, again, this just kind of proves the weakness of the Big 12. I'm not going to say that I don't think Baylor deserves to be third because I can't really come up with a better team, but I still don't love the roster. I like Baylor. I, I like the way the pieces fit together. I think part of the, the nice thing – that's happened with them when it comes to that bench is they've been able to play Jonathan Chamochachua off the bench because Flo Thamba's taken a little bit of a step this year. Uh, so they've been able to play uh, really a pretty fluid starting lineup. They've moved Flagler into the starting lineup to replace one of those guards. Akinjo has come in as well. Uh, and then you've got Meyer. Kendall Brown, who's a freshman that I love. He's been outstanding so far. Uh, and then uh, Flo Thamba on the inside. That's a pretty good starting five, in my opinion. It's not elite by any means. But then you look at the bench. Chamochach was one of the best defenders in the Big 12. Uh, I legitimately believe that. LJ Cryer is really interesting to me because he's been a guy that's kind of floated around that rotation and had a shot to do something in the past, and it's just not clicked yet. He's averaging 16.5 points per game through two games for this team. I'm not expecting him to do that consistently, uh, but he's a guy that can put the ball in the basket, can get you some buckets off the bench. Dale Bonner, I know it's at the Division II level. He's a bucket getter. Losing Langston Love for the year is tough because he's another guy that was going to go be a physical presence uh, that could get to the basket for you. Somebody that I really like that was one of the more underrated, I think, recruits in the country this past year is Jeremy Sohan, who I got to see... Um, at the Cancer Research Classic in Wheeling a, a couple years ago mm. when he was playing for, I think it was La Lumiere. Uh, he's averaging 12 points, four and a half rebounds, two assists off the bench. Six foot nine, can put the ball on the floor. Um, I don't think people were expecting him to be a big contributor this season, but I really like his game. Works well 17 feet and in, uh, can, can deal with slower bigs with off the dribble and I think he's got a chance to be an x-factor off the bench for this team along with Cryer to solidify that rotation all right Tanner now to Texas Tech and man transfers are the story of the big 12 this year without question um, Malik Wilson comes in along with Bryson Williams to try to replace uh, some of the deficiencies from this team losing uh, McClung obviously and right. Kyler Edwards um a lot of subs, uh, excuse me, transfers on the bench. They get a guy from Oral Roberts. They get Calhoun from Florida State. Uh, the guy from Arizona as well. Uh, and a first-year head coach, Mark Adams, obviously, to replace Chris Beard. And again, it's a team that I don't love to be fourth in the Big 12, but I can't think of a better team. Right. That, I mean, that's what I'm looking at here. You know, you look at this team. They're a very well-sized team, very big team. Uh, and, they, you know, losing McClung is huge, but they didn't really lose that much. I mean, they lost Chris Beard, too, but I think Mark Adams is going to be a good coach. And like you said, I really don't know a team 
to really put in forth. I, I, I mean, I think that whole second tier is all interchangeable, sure. Um, but I think this Texas Tech team is going to really not drop off too bad after losing Chris Beard, and they're going to score a lot of points. Malik Wilson is going to play really well this year, I think. Sure. And, and, and that bench is, is better than what I think people are going to expect, too. you got a lot of transfers coming in, but there's a reason uh, for that. I'm not super confident in this team, but I will say if you've got somebody that can run the pick and roll, Kevin O'Banner proved in the NCAA tournament for Oral Roberts, he might be the best pick and pop big in the country. Big fan of that. Oh, yeah. I, that's why I knew the name. I, I, I was looking at the name, and I saw that. Him and Max Asmus were the were the pick and roll combination for, for Oral Roberts. Yeah, Bob. Um, I, I completely forgot about that. That's where that name came from. All right, now to Oklahoma State who has absolutely nothing to play for with the postseason ban and losing the first pick in the draft. But they got a lot of pieces back. Likely's back. Avery Anderson's back. Caleb Boone's back. Um, I don't really know because I, I haven't been cognizant through college basketball when you're looking for a team that has nothing to play for, what they're going to be like. There's talent on this roster to contend to be a mid-table Big 12 team, but at the same time, for what reason? I think Mike Boynton's going to motivate these guys enough for them to actually show up and play this year. It's just a matter of somebody taking over as that alpha uh, for Cade Cunningham. I don't think Isaac Likely has the offensive game to be able to do it. If somebody's going to do it, I think it's going to be uh, Avery Anderson. He proved down the stretch last year that he can be a guy that you can ask to go get a bucket for you. If he doesn't step up, I, I, I'm just not particularly confident in this team to have somebody uh, that can just go out there and not necessarily take over a game, but be the guy in big moments. Um, Caleb Boone is, is a talented player. I'm not going to take that away from him, but I've never been his biggest fan. Uh, beyond that, I'm interested in Bryce Thompson coming from coming over from Kansas. He had an interesting freshman year. He was in and out of that rotation. He's been good so far this year. I really like Musa Cisse uh, transferring from Memphis, six foot ten, 225 pound shot blocker that has shown a lot more offensive ability uh, this year already for Oklahoma State than he did last year. Uh, for Memphis and for Penny Hardaway. Um, he was, I believe, the AAC freshman of the year last year and averaged six points a game mm -hmm. because of his defensive ability. So I'm not sure you're going to find a better rim protector in the Big 12 than Musa Cisse. It's just a matter of if this Oklahoma State team can put the offense together. Now to Oklahoma, Tanner, this is such an interesting team because there's some pieces from here that I like. And while we turn our attention very, very quickly to the remaining three teams that are going to be absolute dog water, I think Oklahoma, <laughs> it's unfair that they get looped in with this group. Jordan Goldwire comes in from Duke. I understand he had a bad season. No. Um, no. Uh, no. <laughs> Don't talk to me about Jordan Coldwire, please. Okay, I thought I made a mistake. Um, please, no. And then uh, Marvin Johnson, who randomly I got to see play a couple of times when I was watching Eastern Illinois play as a 15-point-per-game score. So there's some pieces there that I like. Uh, Gibson obviously returning, Jalen Hill. I think it's a little bit unfair Tanner when I Groves. back to – Yeah, I'm sorry, Tanner Groves from Eastern uh, – uh, Washington. Washington. I was almost said Eastern Michigan. Um it's a bit unfair to limp them in with the rest of the teams in the bottom of the, the, the group here. I, I think so, too. Um, but, I mean, there's not much. They're, they're in this third tier for a reason. There's not much expectation for this team to do a lot. But that doesn't mean they can't shock some people this season. They've got some guys that can score, and they've got a little bit of size. Um, and some of these transfers coming in are going to help. I think the Goldwire can bounce back. Not a fan. I was, I've never been a fan. And as someone that has followed Duke basketball very closely, he's a great defender. He's not much else, in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> he's a five-point-per-game scorer, was he not? Yeah, five points. About, that. about like six, that. yeah. But, I mean, this Oklahoma team's got a lot of experience. That can bode well for him down the stretch, I guess. But um, 
I, I don't see much coming out of this team. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, Jamie Dixon, TCU, uh, next, eighth. Uh, again, transfers upon transfers upon transfers as I'm looking here. Uh, as many as eight different players have transferred into this program. I guess maybe you could make the argument that if some of them hit, uh, you got a guy from UT Arlington, another guy from Vanderbilt, and a guy from Texas A&M, that they could also be separating themselves from the bottom two teams in the league, but still. I think Jamie Dixon's a great coach. I just He has not been able to recruit high-quality players uh, to TCU, one of, other than Desmond Bain, I mm-hmm. should say. Desmond Bain's an outstanding player. And he's, uh, he's an RJ Nemhard. And RJ Nemhard. Uh, but beyond that, I just haven't seen him show the ability to recruit at a high level to TCU. I really like Mike Miles. I don't like much else on this team. Uh, your best player last year was Kevin Samuel, and he transferred to Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, what that says about your program, I think, is pretty clear. Uh, I think Mike Miles has a chance to be an NBA player. Beyond that, there's not a lot that I like on this roster. Um, and then anything to shout out, either of you guys want to jump in for Kansas State at the bottom. Um Obviously, not ideal in terms of how things are going there in an right. Iowa State. I, I think that Weber's coaching for his job. If that I think so, too. So, I mean, if the team loves this guy and they want to play for him, they will. If they don't, then it won't happen for him this year. And then, uh, shoot, how do you say Iowa State? Don't they call him Coach Oates? Uh, Otzelberger. T.J. Oatsberger. Okay, I, just I think Coach that's going to be an absolute tire fire. Really? Yes. Because he did not have success at UNLV. Mm. And you're asking him to come in to a bigger program at Iowa State, and they just beat Alabama State, who's 0-4, by eight points. Um, I, I just don't buy anything that they're selling there. Uh, they, the, the pieces just don't fit for me. They're being led right now by Isaiah Brockington, who has spent time at St. Bonaventure in Penn State. I, I just I don't see a lot of guys on this roster that will contribute to winning basketball, and I don't necessarily think they've got the coach to raise the floor. Four returning players for them that are averaging, I, I can't do the mental math, but around 11 points from last year. All right, uh, rapid-fire questions to finish out the show. And like I said, some of these are the segment, excuse me. Some of these you guys talked about last week, but I wanted to get your thoughts on them as well. Give me your answer and then a very brief explanation as to why. Tanner, will begin with you. Best conference in college basketball this year is? I think it's the Big Ten. I, I hate to be, you know, the Big Ten fan, but they've got a lot of quality basketball teams. I think Michigan State's going to be better than what people are giving them credit for. Jawan Howard just got extended at Michigan. Mm. Chris Holtman's one heck of a coach in Columbus. Uh, and, you know, Purdue is a really good basketball team as well. Um, that's just, you know, spitting off the top of my head right there. I, I think the Big the Big Ten's going to have four or five teams that are really good. I'm on the same page with the Big Ten. Um, I, I like what's going on there. I know they just just lost to Marquette, uh, but I think Illinois is going to be good. They played that yeah. game without Kofi Coburn, who was suspended for the first three games. Yep. That's just another team to throw in the mix there, uh, beyond what Tanner said. The best non-Power 6 conference uh, conference will be, Daniel? That's a tough question. Um, that, that's that's really, really T- difficult Tanner, to Tanner, get your Obviously, answer while Daniel's looking. I, I, I don't know either. Uh, <laughs> Do we need to skip that one, come back to it? Come back to it. All right. I'll give you an answer, but uh, come back to it. The best non-Power 6 team, obviously not including Gonzaga, will be? BYU. I would agree with that. Outside of maybe St. Bonaventure. Yeah, that's okay. I'm excited. I really want WVU to get matched up with St. Bonaventure. That would be huge. Uh, best off-season coaching hire? I think Chris Beard. Yeah, I, I yeah, wanted Texas, to make sure we Texas. were going to say something other than Chris Beard. Um, and then your guys' first overall pick? Paulo Bancaro. You think it's a lock? What have you seen from? I haven't gotten to watch him play yet. He's this in college. He's six ten with Jimmy Butler's offensive game. No, I I, I agree, but I have it. So it's translated to college. The first very much games. so. And you like him better than Chet? Yes. I I wish I didn't get to watch the St. Louis. He Memphis was game. effective on defense. Chet 
disappeared offensively against Texas. I didn't get to watch the St. Louis Memphis game. I got I only got to listen to it, and even then, it sounded like Amani Bates didn't play that well. Well, he's not eligible this year. Oh, right, you're right. He's two years out. You're absolutely right. Though Jalen right. Duran could put himself in that conversation. You're absolutely right. Okay. Uh, was there any disagreement? I will say, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I, Holgram is going to be good. Mm-hmm. I, I think it comes down to who gets that first pick, though. There's some stuff going on with Paolo now, though. If you Are there? Seen. Um, Really, the bigger issue is with Michael Saverino, who is Coach K's grandson, who's a, oh, a walk-on yeah. the team. He got he, he got, was he yeah. was arrested for DUI. Uh, Paolo was in the car and has oh. been charged with aiding and abetting DWI, which I don't even know what that means. I completely forgot to bring that up. I was going to bring that up to you. Um, by the way, let's check in with our friends at NBADraft.net. <laughs> Those goons. <laughs> uh, Jaden Hardy second. Uh, after not pa- a chance. Paolo and then Chet's third. Um, anybody want to swing back around to the best non-power sex conference? I just I don't remember who's in conferences these days. Well, yeah, everybody's changing. That's part of the problem. Looking to see where NBA Draftnet has the first uh, NBA player. Who's the cat, by the way? And I wanted to bring him up, and I completely forgot. Hang on, while you guys are looking that up, that I've, I've become a fan of. Um, uh, Mike Miles. Uh, the kid that's TCU, uh, yeah, TCU that yeah. played in the U nineteen. He yeah, was I was insane. I, I was yeah. I'm about sorry, I, 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 yeah. I was, I was. That's who I was talking. Looking about. at the next point, I like him a lot. Big there's fan. a there's a chance he might be the first Big Twelve player taken off the board, which would be alarming. Is Tavion Kinsey going to be first round pick? By the way, it's possible. That'd be crazy. Uh, I'll say uh, probably the 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 Valley's going to be the best uh, non non six. six because of yeah. because of uh, Carbondale, obviously. Naturally. Uh, but Drake's going to be good again this year. Loyola Chicago is going to be good against this year. Missouri State's on its way up. Uh, and I think Northern Illinois is going to – not Northern Illinois. Northern Iowa is going to have a bounce-back year as well. Uh, I think there's four potential tournament teams there coming out of the Valley. They're not all going to get in, but I think there's four potential tournament teams in that conference. According to NBA DraftNet, I am very confused. All right. Uh, did you want to add anything to that, uh, Tanner? Taz Sherman, fourth overall pick. Is that no, I'm about? looking at Micah, <laughs> Micah Peavy as the first Big 12 player off the board. What? Yeah, and it doesn't make any sense. Why? I don't know. They have him listed as a six foot seven shooting guard, and then Kendall Brown from Baylor. Uh, I was just going to ask, I mean, between the Valley, and obviously I've confessed my love to the Atlantic 10, I would assume you'd be picking between those two conferences. Yeah, there's some interesting teams in the Mountain West. I really like Colorado State. I think Boise State uh, is very well coached. Um, and beyond that, there's some talent in that conference. Fresno State has a shot to be back up this year. Uh, but overall, I think the most talented conference, the, the mid-major conference with the best teams uh, outside of Gonzaga is probably the Valley. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. We'll take a quick break. When we return, we will turn our attention to college football. Tanner will remain. We'll bring in Logan as well. We'll have a, an official on-air debate when it comes to the Heisman. Can't You're not going to want to miss that. You're listening to the Sports Page on U92. It's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance. Say hi, guys. When I adopted them, I discovered that they both have incredible personalities. Chance's sole purpose in life is to love and to be loved. Frankie is a little bit of a scoundrel and always entertaining. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. (laughs) COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel. But now, there are vaccines. 
and they are the very first step that let us get back to what we miss most. It's okay to have questions. Is it safe? Should I wait? Now, get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision when vaccines are available to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. U92 The Moose is your home for the best sports coverage you're going to find here on the campus of West Virginia University. It all starts on Wednesdays from 6 to 10. It's the Sports Block on U92. From 6 to 8, we're talking WVU sports with a tilt towards on-campus coverage. From 8 to 10, it's the Sports Page taking a look at all the national stories you want to hear the U92 sports staff talk about. Then at the bottom of every hour, tune in for breaking news on all of the top stories in sports by members of the U92 staff. And finally, live sports on U92 The Moose are the bread and butter. Tune in for coverage of both WVU soccer teams, women's basketball, baseball, and WVU hockey live on U92, 91.7 FM, and U92TheMoose.com. You're not going to want to miss any of the sports here on U92. ¿Cómo? Bueno, déjame nomás subir a la acera para echarle un ojo. ¡Uy! ¡Qué bella! Me refiero a la Yankee Rose. Una rosa silvestre. Legend lives on here, 91.7 FM, U92, the Moose, as the sports page also continues and lives on in uh, prime form. We're joined now. Logan has joined the program along with Tanner, along with Daniel, and Dad is back. Luke is back. We are back. All right, guys. Uh, you know, it's funny. Coach's hot seat has correctly indicated that these gentlemen were going to lose their jobs, but none of which I think spent significant time in the top 10 except for Butch Davis, who obviously we understand will be relieved of his duties, along with Justin Fuente and Jimmy Lake. Any surprises there before we move on? The uh, Coach's Daniel is fired board is now two for two, uh, pending two more decisions. What do we have on there, Scott and Babers? Okay. Uh, Jeff Scott, Dino Babers, which and, oh, I'm confident in one of those. Which one? Scott? Jeff Scott, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. I just love that Scott Frost has, still has his job. Craziness. All right, guys, we will circle back around to the coach's hot seat. That's a little bit of a, an appetizer, if you will, for the buffet of content that will be coming your way. Uh, let's take another look at the top 25 in the college football playoff rankings. Were there really any surprises to you guys? It's Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State, Cincinnati's up to five, Michigan, Michigan State. Michigan State's got that big matchup against Ohio State. That could make things really interesting with a Michigan State uh, win. Uh, Notre Dame. I have lived to hear it say that there are people that actually are uh, on staff at U92 that believe there's still a path for Notre Dame to get into the playoff. Uh, Oklahoma State, Wake Forest, Baylor, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, as I think the 13 teams that have a snowball's chance and you know where at getting in. Any surprises for you guys? No, but I think that's the committee signaling quietly that Cincy might still get in. That's what, that's what I was going to say. Because and I, if they really – don't think since he's going to get in, they're not ahead of uh, Michigan or Michigan State. That's what I was about to go with. I guess, uh, Logan, I'll ask you this question because this is where things become interesting to me. I understand we've got a, uh, a, a member here on the show that is a big fan of what Ohio State's going to do for the end of the year. If Michigan State beats Ohio State, is that enough in your mind to justify them jumping to four, or is that where Cincinnati backdoors in? 
No, I think they'll jump. If they beat Ohio State. You think I they'll think just straight they'll up jump, jump to four? But I still don't think that loses Cincinnati's path. I mean, Alabama's probably going to play Georgia. And if Georgia beats Alabama, a two-loss Alabama, I still think Cincinnati could be ahead of a two-loss Alabama as that fourth team. So Michigan State would be third. And and are we resided to the fact that we're going to get our first two-loss team this year? I mean, Alabama. I mean, I, I, they're not going to get in if they're a two-loss team because I don't, if they're I don't a two-loss so team, their their biggest win is against Ole Miss at home. All right. I, that, I, I, to be honest with you, this is the first I'm hearing of this because I thought Daniel, you were a believer of two-loss. I'm relatively confident in them getting in with two losses. I'm they not saying help, it's a guarantee. I think with the current state of things, they will. Uh, I don't think you put a, a one-loss Oklahoma State in over them. I don't think you put a one-loss Wake Forest in over them. I'm not sure you put an undefeated Cincinnati in over them. That's the biggest question you're going to run into is what is the value of two-loss Alabama against undefeated Cincinnati uh, because that's where you're going to get the most debate. That's where you're going to get people up in arms, and I think that's where you're going to have to decide how strongly do you value strength of schedule because Cincinnati, unless Notre Dame goes off the rails – is going to have a better win than Alabama if Alabama loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game. Now, do you value a team's best win, or do you value an overall body of work when it comes to that last spot? That's what the, what the, that's the question that you're going to have to ask yourself if you're Gary Barta and the selection committee. I, mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think their best win, because if, if these teams start losing each other, I mean, Notre Dame could sneak up to six overall. I mean, I don't think they'll get close to the playoff, but they could get six overall. And if that's Cincinnati's best win, that's way better than anybody's best win. I besides mean, Oregon. Well, yeah, besides Oregon, but versus Alabama. Right. Alabama doesn't have a better win. I mean, Ole Miss, but who knows what Ole Miss could do. They they might they could lose one of their last games. I, I think that it's not just about this season, though, too. If the CFP is really going to stay at four teams, then there's no way they can put Alabama in above Cincinnati because then that's just going to raise – more concern and more outside talk about how they need to expand because it's not fair that an undefeated Cincinnati gets knocked out of the playoff by an Alabama who's a two-loss team non-conference champion whose best win is Ole Miss who could very well not be in the top 25 at the end of the year. By the way, college football playoff expansion should be eight teams and eight teams only, and I will not be accepting any ats at this time. It is eight, simply eight. Are we convinced, by the way, just out of curiosity, um, Alabama's got a ranked matchup against Arkansas, and then they've got a Bo Nixless Iron Bowl, which is still at Auburn. Are we convinced that they're going to run the table in the regular season? I, I No. A couple weeks ago, I said they might lose to LSU. Yeah, because they lost by LSU to six. They, they only beat LSU. But I don't think they're a well-put-together team. They're, Honestly, they're, like a backup quarterback and a first-year head coach going into the Iron Bowl against a somewhat lesser than their normal powers Alabama just screams – like kick six prayer at Jordan sure. Hare kind of Auburn moment where just weird Auburn goes out there and ruins everybody's day. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it could happen. I did read there's a scenario unlikely because Alabama would have to lose twice to Arkansas and Auburn, but there's a scenario where there could be a six way tie for first place in the SEC. What's what's West. the account called? I'm just getting it from uh, Sickos. Sickos committee. It's just Sickos committee. Yeah, that's a good follow. That's funny. And the, the West Virginia game is the WVU-Texas is the sickos game of the week. I know we don't have a lot of time to sidetrack. Can you explain that to me? Is there a reason for that? What does it's, that mean? It's voted on. It's basically like the most uh, – how do I want to put this? Like it's kind of like the most like self Like what kind of sicko would watch that? Okay. Yeah, pretty much. See, I, thought sick, like, I thought the whole point of that account was here is the craziest, messiest – solution to the college football that's season. Part okay. of it. That's okay. part of it. But that's not all but like of it. The Sickos game of the week is like 
the game you uh, the game. If, if you're, you're not a fan of either of these teams, one of those teams, this is the game that you have to hate yourself the most to watch. Okay, so there you go, the sickest game of the week. And it's not at night. <laughs> I'm glad it's, it's at not. noon, which it's high noon ugh. in Morgantown. Um, so the Big Twelve, I think now it's safe to say, have put all their eggs in the Oklahoma State basket, which is daunting because they have to beat Oklahoma State twice, I think, to get in because they're at nine and Oklahoma fell to thirteen. And I don't see Oklahoma winning out still and making it in unless they get a ton of help. Any disagreement there? Oklahoma State's playing very good football. They've got arguably a top. 15-20 defensive college football, certainly the best in the Big 12, and Spencer Sanders is playing above-average football. Um, I mean, obviously they need some things to happen above them, and those things will happen in them lapping Cincinnati because they're a one-loss conference champion, and Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State, uh, two of those three teams at least finishing with two losses. I have an interesting scenario. I get that they're at 9 and Oregon's at 3, but if Oklahoma State wins out, how do you weigh 12-1 and conference champion with two wins over Oklahoma against... Just the one and, Ohio State against game. twelve and one conference champion with a win against Ohio State and a loss to Stanford, whereas Oklahoma State's loss is to Baylor. Right, like who how will do, finish how do you in the top twenty-five? That's a good well, point. If Ohio State fin- wins out, wins Big Ten, and Oklahoma loses another game and is ranked down in the because in, in that the, situation, twenties in, in that situation, you beat Oklahoma twice. They now become three loss Oklahoma. That's right. fair. So three loss Oklahoma, two three loss Baylor. Or something happens that Baylor is the opponent in the Big 12 championship game, mm. and you avenge that loss. They, That's they, better, they, in my they, opinion. You know, kick that field goal for a reason. So. Exactly. Dave Aranda knows what he's doing. <laughs> Come on. Have you guys seen the, the code of sportsmanship? Have you guys seen by Lincoln Riley the multiple instances that Lincoln Riley had kicked field goals oh, that yeah. people are just finding? So here's this game from 2015 when he was winning 60 to 33 and kicked a field goal at the end of the game. What a scumbag! That's LSU's next head coach. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. He is gave that... the most non. He he has replaced Jimbo Fisher as the king of the non-committal answer. Well, Jimbo it's committed amazing. to A and M. I don't know what you're talking about. He loves Jim, his ranch. I, that's right. what I'm saying. That's he what I'm saying. Lincoln ranch. Riley's taking his place. Right. He's set. Lincoln Riley. Somebody asked him about the LSU job and his media availability this week, and I, I don't have the quote in front of me. It was something along the lines of like. I'm the coach at Oklahoma right now. You guys know how I. You guys know where I stand when it comes to this place. That <laughs> Do was, we? That was his response. Do we? That was basically his response. Do we? Do we really? That's future coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Lincoln Riley, right there. Um, all right, guys. Now we're gonna pivot to our first of the my tenure of uh, head of the sports page. Our first official on-air live debate. Uh, Heisman odds. Have uh, been released, yep. and we have ourselves a three to four horse race. It'll become a four horse race if what I predicted earlier comes true, and Michigan State beats Ohio State because I think Kenneth Walker would have to have a big game for that to happen. That's an if. Well, are you saying that that's gonna, okay? You're not. Saying if they win that game, Kenneth okay. Walker will have played he will well. Jump he will up. be back in we'll the high. I mean, he still is, but we're going to look at three quarterbacks. What right about now. future Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Kenny Pickett? So okay, get out of here. So here's hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. No. Hold on. Get out of my studio. That negativity. Wait, wait. Let me, let me, let me get somewhere with this. Logan, I will admit that you've helped me put at least a toe in the Kenny Pickett camp. I assigned you guys via email who you're going to be arguing for. However, however, Logan, I will give you, because you're my favorite, uh, a chance. <laughs> uh, a chance, if you want, Matt Corrales, who you're representing, to change that to Kenny Pickett. I will actually still go with Matt Corrales. Okay, okay, okay. I wanted to make sure. All right, you so. Better odds. 
So, you're right. In terms of odds right now, it stands Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. I think Kenneth Walker's still third, but we're not going to talk about him right now. Uh, and then Matt Corral. Representing Mr. Bryce Young will be Daniel Woods, uh, C.J. Stroud, Tanner Lambert, and Matt Corral, Logan. If there's time, I'll try to make some, poke some holes in it and argue for the field, which to me right now would be Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker. But if we have time, I'll... Jared Diggy. <laughs> <laughs> Bailey Zappi. Tony Mathis. Uh, Tanner Mordecai. All right, so we'll begin with, <laughs> of all the things to break Logan, wh- which one was it? <laughs> the Tanner Mordecai. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I love that. Uh, Daniel. Matt Logan. Areza. Matt Areza for Heisman. Matt McAfee's calling for I will. If, that if you let me. me argue for Matt Areza, I'll no, argue for Matt No, we're not. I'm sorry. Daniel, you he's will. The best, he's Pound for pound, he's the best football Second player in America. Second day pick at the draft. He's a day two pick. 100%. Really? He is 100%. a day two pick. Is he pick. actually? Yes. All right. I know that it didn't pan out well for him in the NFL. He's the best. Uh, special teams player to come out of college football since Roberto Aguayo. Okay. Uh, well, with that being said, Daniel, you get opening arguments. Again, you're representing Bryce Young. I think it's pretty simple. When you're looking at a quarterback uh, that you're looking for a combination of production and efficiency, you can't look past Bryce Young. He's been among the most efficient quarterbacks in college football and the most prolific quarterbacks in college football. He does everything you ask of him in an explosive offense. It's not the same offense that they were running uh, with Steve Sarkeesian where it's it's true NFL concepts and stuff like that, but it's pretty dang close uh, with Bill O'Brien. You're talking about the guy that is running the offense for the number two team in the country uh, with not your typical Alabama rushing attack. Brian Robinson is a perfectly fine college football player, uh, but he's not an elite first-round pick NFL talent. Uh, so you've had to lean more on the passing game this year. Bryce Young has done everything you've asked of him in that capability. And I don't necessarily uh, know how you can poke holes in in what he's doing from a production standpoint uh, simply because he's done it efficiently and he's done it at a very high level. Uh, you look at his stats on the year, and he's just not making mistakes. 33 touchdowns against three interceptions. Um, and he's done it well in big games as well. He's completing nearly 70% of his passes uh, against top 25 opponents. Uh, he's just slinging it all over the yard, nearly 71% completion percentage overall, 3,000 yards already, uh, has thrown 327 passes, uh, which obviously pretty high clip. Uh, he has taken some sacks, uh, but that's, I think, more of a symptom of the offensive line and less to do with his mobility. Uh, he doesn't turn the ball over. Like I said, he's completed nearly 71% of his passes. The combination of production and efficiency for Bryce Young is elite. The 12th most yards in the country and the third most touchdowns uh, in the nation against just three interceptions with a 72 or 71% completion percentage. And if you were to poke holes in the other two? Oh, the poke holes in the other two, that being Matt Corral and remind me of the other. C.J. Stroud. Oh, sorry. C.J. Stroud. Um the beginning of the season for C.J. Stroud is too much to overcome, I think, in terms of a Heisman race. I get that uh, he's turned it around and been extremely good the last however many weeks, but uh, the, the poor performance for him to start the year is too much. I don't think uh, Bryce Young has had any kind of those types of holes uh, throughout the year for himself. Matt Corral, team's just not good enough, uh, to be completely honest, and there have been moments where he has not had the efficiency that Bryce Young has had. So I, I think the... The leg up that Bryce Young has against both Matt Corral, excuse me, and against C.J. Stroud is his level of efficiency. He's been pinpoint all year. He's done everything you've asked of him in that regard, and for that reason, I think he is a step above those two. All right, Tanner, your argument for C.J. Stroud and poking holes in the other two candidates. Well, I think for Stroud, I mean, the beginning of the year, I, I don't really understand what he's talking about was bad. 
Uh, the first three weeks, he had eight total touchdowns with three picks. Sorry, three picks, fine, not great. The Buckeyes did not lose to Oregon because of Stroud. If we go back to that game, they lost because of the defense. Against Oregon, he was 35-54, 484 yards for three touchdowns and a pick. All right. Last week against Purdue, he had five touchdowns, 31-38, 82% completion rate. He's got 30 touchdowns, five picks, and over 3,000 yards this season. And he's leading one of the most prolific offenses, I think, scoring-wise. I mean, the Buckeyes have the number one scoring offense in the entire country. And that's not all Travion Henderson, as it was a couple weeks ago where he had a big game. C.J. Stroud has really turned around this season. Um, and against Nebraska and Penn State, Ohio State, they failed to get into the end zone as much. They kicked four field goals inside the red zone in those two games. But then against Purdue, Stroud comes out and he throws five touchdowns. His QB rating uh, for this entire season is 129.4. His QBR is 89.4. I think it's tough to pick apart the true freshman in C.J. Stroud. He, he's just been one of the best quarterbacks all season. His deep ball is very accurate as well. All right, and to critique the other two? Um, I think that it's tough to critique Bryce Young. I mean, him and Stroud are pretty similar, I think. Um, but I guess the thing that you could say about him is, I mean, it's not his fault he's not playing just as talented teams on the other side, right? So he's been good enough for Alabama, and they've been winning. And... Um, Corral, Corral has had big moments to shine, and he hasn't done it. All right, speaking of Matt Corral, Logan? I'm going to go a little different route. I, like I think this. he should be the Heisman winner because he is playing on teams that aren't as talented as Ohio State and Alabama. I think his impact statistically isn't as big as his impact being on the field. Um, he's probably going to lead if Ole Miss wins their last few games, wins their ball game. It's the most wins Ole Miss football has ever had. Mm. Um, I believe he's turned that program into more of a laughing from from a laughing stock to a serious contender, um, and I think that's what makes him such an impactful player on the field. Uh, he's taken talent that isn't comparable to Alabama, isn't comparable to Ohio State. Still has won eight, has won eight and two. Um, like I said, his statistically doesn't show. I mean, seventeen touchdowns, two interceptions. He's an efficient quarterback. Doesn't put up quite the numbers that Stroud and Young have had, um, but his impact on the field being a consistent leader at the quarterback position and being the most impactful player. That's why I think I think he's the most impactful player because I think if someone else was a quarterback for Ohio State, if someone else was a quarterback for Alabama, they would still be top 10 teams. And I think if, if someone else was a quarterback for Ole Miss, they may be 6-4 and four right now, mm. not 8-2. and two. You guys are too nice. Let me jump in right now and tell you why all of you guys are wrong and why I can name two, name them, count them, two, players that are better than all three players that you brought on this list. Kenny Pickett. You want to talk about bad teams? Look at Pitt. Kenny Pickett has more passing yards than any of the people that we've just brought up in this conversation. Kenny Pickett has more touchdown passes than anybody in this conversation That's except for Bryce Young. I, 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 I Trust me. But Kenny Pickett, by the way, has also been sacked 22 times. And Kenny Pickett is... Higher rated, has a higher QBR than Matt Corral. Obviously, C.J. Stroud um, and Bryce Young are both higher than him on this list. Kenny Pickett, simply for that point, is better than all three of the players that you guys just named. And to name another, Kenneth Walker leads the nation in rushing touchdowns, rushing yards, and he's averaging six and a half yards per carry. Who cares about quarterbacks anymore? It's a running backs league, and Kenneth Walker deserves to win the Heismans. I got to go win these next couple games and win the Big What if I told you there's a quarterback in a Packer 5 conference that has more yards, better higher completion percentage, and more touchdowns than all four of those guys we talked about. And that is? Will, Will Rogers. Rogers. Will Rogers. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Will Rogers. Will Rogers for Heisman. 
<laughs> I guess we're kind of missing the point of what I was trying to get I, you guys to stand firm you know, with your candidates. More, the only other thing I want to say about Stroud is... That he's going to lose the Heisman to Will Rogers? No. <laughs> Stroud... The Bailey Zap. If, if Ohio State does what they're supposed to do, he's going to go and beat Michigan State at home, go into the big house, beat them, and beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game. Th- that's a... Those are big games, big Tradition, moments. Traditionally speaking, though, Pickett and Corral have the highest odds. Alabama school quarterbacks from major programs that continually dominate don't very rarely right, have right. odds, higher odds. Unless you're higher. an Alabama running back. Yes. So, I mean, Matt Corral and Kenny Pickett have high odds depending on what the season. And it could be Pickett because Pickett's going to have the opportunity to, to play in an ACC – well, ha- possibly play an ACC title game that, that obviously Matt Corral won't have. All right. I, w- I was hoping for more blood. What, what, what about your uh, – can Ole Miss like, make it if Alabama loses these next two? If Alabama we'll loses their next two and Ole Miss wins out, they would get in, I believe. Yes. So there's, you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. There's a chance. I mean, because it, it not, it's not like they're playing Vanderbilt. Alabama's playing Arkansas, which is a good team. Right. And Auburn has something special always when they play at, at Jordan-Hare. Could you imagine if Kenny Pickett and Matt Corral are playing for conference championship titles and C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are not – it's talking about second. This year of college football wouldn't be the craziest thing. I don't know. I mean, I think in well, I, not in C.J. Stroud's case, but I'd say in Bryce Young's case, he got played, outplayed in their only loss. Now I will say C.J. Stroud did outplay Oregon's quarterback in that game, but I thought Zach Calzada outplayed Bryce Young in that upset in College Station. Daniel, are you spending a first round pick on Kenneth Walker? No, really? not pass catcher, really. Not really. Not really. He doesn't fit the modern NFL, in my opinion. I don't think so. He'll have to, if he runs well at the combine, I would consider it. What do you think? What does he have to run forty times for you to take him in the first round? Sub four four. I would say sub four five. So somewhere in the four fours. All right. You guys taking first? I'm a I'm a big believer in first round running back. Shout I, out, I, I would say Aaron Adams, yes. but maybe not Kenneth Walker. You don't think I, if I, he if you're the right of the line. So right. you're talking picks maybe 25 to 32? That could be Dallas replaces Zeke. I don't know. That's just Ooh, Ooh, I don't know if Dallas could justify This is a Tony it. Pollard Future program. Pittsburgh <laughs> Future this Pittsburgh is a pro Tony Pollard. Back Ezekiel Elliott. Oh. Everybody's a future Pittsburgh Steeler. <laughs> the Steelers take Kenny Pickett in the first round and Kenneth Walker in the second. Oh. Who says no? We got Najee. We're good. That's the whole offense this week in LA. Double running back. Two-back two system. <laughs> the wishbone with Kenny Pickett under center. <laughs> I'm here for it. And Ezekiel Elliott is the backup. Rudolph's in the game. We're good to go. Yeah. Running the single wing. Ezekiel Elliott's playing end. <laughs> All right. Uh, I appreciate you guys having a lot of respect for each other in the debate. All right. Uh, we're going to play the Coach's Hot Seat game really quickly. only have a couple of minutes because we got to get going and go on to the NFL segment. Uh, just keep it simple. We'll keep going around the room until somebody can't name somebody in the top 20. And by the way, we have new faces because Lake's gone. Uh, Fuente's gone, and um, uh, Butch Davis is gone. Butch Davis is off the list? Yes. Okay. So, uh, Tanner, we'll begin with you. One through 20. Give me a name. Give him fast. Scott Loeffler. Scott Loeffler. He's there. He's got to be there. Hang on. Yeah, he's there. Hey, no, 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 no. Okay. I got to find him. Okay. I was looking for the orange. He's there. 14. <laughs> uh, Sark. Sark's number five? God, that's such a joke. I mean, if they're going to go four and eight. I, I understand, but it's year one. No, I know. He and will be. If they go four and eight, same with Neil and Brown. Neil Brown. Neil and Brown. Neil Brown. He becomes the most fireable coach in college football going into next year, in my opinion. Who? 
who if whoever Texas or Saturday. Who, oh, whoever, if, oh, okay, yeah, okay. if one of Saturday. these two teams go four and eight this you year, I mean, if, fired if, if we lose out, no, I'm saying he becomes the most fireable coach next year. If he I has, no, I'm saying if we lose out, we lose Texas and Kansas. You think he's? We had that conversation earlier. I think so. No. Okay. Oh, I don't know Kansas. Kansas is the wild. But Dana also Dana in his third year went four and eight and lost Kansas. And we kept Dana. All right, uh, Andy, you, uh, yeah, you got Sarks. Uh, you, Daniel. Uh, Doug Martin. Doug Martin's number three, yes. Tanner, back to you. We named one of them earlier. Babers. We named two of them earlier. Uh, I know Babers is on here. Where is he? There he is, 15. Dan Mullen. Dan oh. Mullen, number two. Jeez. Florida. Jeff Scott. Jeff Scott, number four. South Florida. Scott Frost can't still be on the list. Yeah, he's, he's, he's on the list. Oh, then I'll take him. He's number one. I, program builder. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Logan. I think we've gotten the first four. First five. Uh, Marcus Arroyo. UNLV. Hang on. No, sorry. He's, he's in the he's – 20, he's 25. I'm sorry. 25. Oh, he went up the list. Okay. I would like to say that it's Mike Norvell, but with a win over Miami, I don't think he's going to be in the top 20 now because he was starting to slide down the list, which means I need to find a new option, uh, which means I need some time to think. You were trying to get me to tip you something there. It's possible. And I was not going to do it. It's possible. My phone's not loading anything right now. Um, One new face... New face. In the top 10. In the top 10? I actually, I, I didn't get to see it last week, but it's somebody that has not been in the top 30 since I've been doing this segment. And it's a weird one for me. Interesting. Oh. I'm not going to no go with that one, but I am going be. to go with Georgia Tech's Jeff Collins. Yes, he's number six. We got one through six. All right, it's between Tanner and uh, Daniel now. Ken Nuiamatololo. God, I can't say his name. Yeah, uh, 13. All right. Nui Matalolo. Uh, Duke's Nui David Cutcliffe. That's the name. Okay. Okay, so he had been yeah. last week. Yeah, okay. We talked about yeah, he's yeah, number nine. Okay. He's number nine. Oh, God. We've got two remaining in the top eight. No, three remaining in the top ten, excuse me, is what I meant to say. Seth Luttrell. Mm. They won last week, though, didn't they? Seth Luttrell is number 20. Woo! Oh, baby. They, they did beat UTEP last week. All right, I'm going to go with Colorado's Carl Durrell. He is number 12. Oh, man, I don't know how many more of these I got in me. (laughs) (laughs) There are newer names, obviously, because people have gotten fired and have won. But they've spent some time in the top 20 to 30, but they're now kind of spending more time in the top 10. One of them is still pretty obvious in my opinion. Is Neil Brown in the top 20? He is. He's number 17. Fine. All right. Um, this is for the win. This is tough. If Daniel can't get this right. This is tough. Um, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. I'm literally just looking at conference standings right now. And I'm going to go with a safe pick to, I think, be in the top 20 with Mike Bloomgren of Rice. He's number 11 of Rice. Still missing uh, three members of the top 10. Three in the top 10? If I'm correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. And one of them's really obvious. I, I'm looking at the list. I'm a jerk. I'm sorry. But it is pretty obvious. I know which one. I, mm, Dan Marcus Arroyo messed me up. <laughs> I had a big list after him. Uh, uh, Willie Fritz? Uh, I s- just saw Willie Fritz. Yeah, 16, Tulane. Okay. Steve Adazio. Yes, he's number seven. That's the highest remaining player. Or player, coach. Uh, so you've got two more remaining in the top ten. Eight and ten. Sheesh. Yeah, this is solid. This is tough. 
This is um, delaying the start of the NFL segment, which would make our NFL people unhappy. Fired. Tom Arthur already got fired. Yeah, those guys are not on the list. Yeah, because they got fired. <laughs> what are you thinking? See, OU won the last two games. Just looking at it now. Um, really obvious still. I, I know. Really obvious? I, am I right? I is, is, is Jeff yeah. Halfley on there? Who? Boston, Boston College? College? I, he's relatively new, but they're not doing well at all. He is not. Oh, no. So, Daniel got a chance for the Daniel, win. Daniel, you're going to win it. Got a shot at the win? Damn. Who What's are we missing here? What's the obvious one? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm looking them, through these well, standings. I don't know. Um, DJ Flex got an extension, choice. right? That's what I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if, it, if he it? gets this wrong and you get this right, we'll call it a three-way tie. So what? Daniel's got to Daniel's got to go here. Oh no, Daniel for the Can't win. Be. One of them's funny. Uh, one of them's, one of them's really obvious. Um, I'm I'm not going to give him any more hints. I apologize. This is this is difficult now. Um, Who are we missing in this next group? We got him, 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 one. him. Uh, 18, 19, and. 18, 19, 8, and 10. So 18, 19, 8, and 10? Yeah. Are uh, the two remain uh, four remaining? I keep saying Eli Drinkwitz, and it's never him, so I'm not going to say Eli Drinkwitz. Um, come on. Give me something. Give me something. Please. This is great radio, as always. <laughs> Coaches sure Hot Seat. Missing four of the remaining top 20 most fireable coaches, according to CoachesHotSeat.com. Daniel Woods for the win here. This is so hard for me. This is hard for him. Daniel Woods. <laughs> Coming up with a name as we speak. Come on. Quit distracting That me. hopefully is in the top four of the 20 most fireable coaches in college football. Me. Mac Brown. Oh, come on. No way. No. Fine. All right. For the three-way tie. Does that have to be in the top 20? Yep. Arizona's head coach. Jed Fish. Nope, he's 22. Oh. I mean, do we have to keep it going, but we also need to hurry up. Is that right, it? Right. Just whoever can give me the name on the a name on the list. Rod Carey Temple. Fire him out there. Yes, 18. Yeah. All right. Uh, the two of the ones we did not get. David Shaw of Stanford is eight. Manny Diaz of Miami is oh, ten. Oh, Manny Diaz. Come yeah, on. that's what I was saying. Lord. Uh, and Jake Spavadol was the funny one of Texas State. Oh. He's number nineteen. I thought I thought Manny was far enough down the list last week he couldn't jump back. All right, that high. we got to wrap up right. the segment because we've got the NFL coming up next. Thank you very much, Tanner and Logan. Take a quick break. NFL. When we return, you're listening to the Sports Page on U ninety two, the Moose. If you want the new and essential college radio, then look no further than the new music pioneer. On 91.7. Every Monday through Thursday from 3 to 6 p.m., tune in to hear the newest music from up-and-coming artists, along with some of our favorite throwback tracks. That's every Monday through Thursday, 3 to 6 p.m. The New Music Pioneer on U92 FM. Pick up a copy of the Daily Athenaeum every Thursday morning from a newsstand on campus. The Daily Athenaeum is WVU's independent, student-run newspaper, reporting on what matters to you, reporting by students, for students. Pick up a copy today and read more at thedaonline.com. Roll the windows down and cruise along to the acoustic sounds of Americana, folk, gospel, and more. Unity to the Moose brings you alternate routes. Tune in every Sunday morning from 8 to 10 a.m. Only on 91.7. 
what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Does you got a problem with Enrique? <laughs> you got a problem with Enrique Iglesias? Daniel, what the hell is wrong with you? Daniel, I got a question. Was that less than 10 million plays? Well, yeah, the 2.7 million people listen to this song. There's 2.7 million mistakes right there. All right. Is this a is this a Daniel Woods driving around in the car kind of song? No. With his fist out the window, no. just like I like it. This is Daniel Woods. Enrique. This is Daniel Woods cutting up the floor on a Friday night. Down at Code. <laughs> you don't need to know where I spend just, my weekends, just, Jacob. Just picture Daniel in those white sequin pants, hair slicked back, no top, just rocking it. <laughs> I, I know about that. Open I toe. I know about things. all that. Open toe sandals, pasties. Ah, oh, grody. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> This is only getting worse. <laughs> Rocking it to Enrique. Luke, I feel like you've thought about this before. I mean, I can neither confirm nor deny. It is deny. oddly specific. You heard that voice, and that means the sports page favorite villain is back. Jacob Janowski is here, ready to get fined by the FCC. Um, everyone's favorite narc as well. Uh, are you still an RA? Yeah. That's huge for you. Yeah, it is. How are things going on in the RA life? It's okay. It's okay? It could be better, but... I. I I don't mind the job, so I'm gonna Jacob. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be completely frank with you. All right. Uh, we have not had anyone blatantly swear on the program <laughs> yet this year. So I uh, that we like to keep it that way. I we've got a swear. we've got a streak. We going. would like well, to keep it that way. I, I did that once. <laughs> I was a freshman. I was young. I was feeble. I was Nolan Rickert was in charge. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's be Nolan honest. Nolan Rickert's regime was just the wild west. Let's People were saying things. Let's be honest. Nolan Rickert uh, was the spearhead of possibly my cursing endeavors on that show because he had a big problem too. But Nolan, we love you. But that's beside the point. Do we? To an extent. Uh, Luke B is also here. Are you Sir. in a Are you in a dorm? Yeah. I'm the don't you have to say which one. It's not it's not yours though, Jacob, is it? Uh Bennett Tower? No. You, just, uh, you want to drop your yeah, room yeah, number while you're at it? Stocks are almost gonna break your kneecap with a lead pipe door and to door on building all three nine floors of it. Um yeah. All right, shout out to our freshman in the dorm and our RA. All right, guys. Uh we spent a lot of time talking about the AFC and we're gonna continue to do that. I'm sorry, Cowboys fan. I'm excited. We will come back at some point and hopefully talk about a Raiders win over the pa- Cowboys on oh. Thanksgiving. Yeah, baby! I mean, probably not. Our run of form. And we will talk about the Raiders. We're going to look at every single AFC team in contention. That's two in the East, all four teams in the West, all four teams in the North, yeah, baby. and two teams in the South. So ten teams we got to get through. We'll look at their recent run of form and uh, their potential trek to the playoffs. We'll begin with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, now for Buffalo, they're coming off of a 9-6 loss at the hands of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they turn around and beat the crap out of the Jets. And it's a tough schedule ahead for them, Jacob. Uh, the Colts are playing, excuse me, they're playing good football. Uh, the Saints, not so much. Alvin Kamara's a game-breaker. Obviously, they're still trying to figure out what they're doing at quarterback. And the Patriots, that game didn't mean as much as it did a couple of weeks ago, but now the Patriots are playing well. I don't think that anybody in this room is going to say that the Bills aren't going to go to the playoffs. But I don't think we're still saying that this is a 13 or 12 win Bills team. Yeah, the the division isn't a lock by any means, and with the Mac, way Mac Jones has been playing, he's been looking quite good in that system. I think, you know, he's slinging the ball, the picks him quite well. But if you look, you got the Saints, you got the Bucks, and I do think the last three of their last four games against the Panthers, Falcons, and Jets are very winnable. Mm-hmm. But I think the stretch, the sh- next three game stretch with the Saints, Pats, and Buccaneers is going to be extremely tough for them. I think if they can come out of that with two wins, I think they'll be in a hot, a, a nice spot to win that division. They were struggling at, at some point. You okay there, Daniel? I'm fine. WVU has lost two football commits in the last 90 minutes. Who's the other one? Kevin Thomas, wide receiver. From Michigan? Oh, no. Not ideal. All right, breaking news there. The other one was uh, uh, the running back. Justin Williams, Justin running back Williams. from Georgia. All right, uh, 
Anything to add to this, Luke, about the Buffalo, not the football commits, decommits? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I honestly, I do believe they're going to drop this Colts game. I, I think the Colts will beat them. Uh, it's just, it does come down to, are the defensive backs disciplined enough to not bump into the wide receivers whenever Carson Wentz throws <laughs> it up and hopes for a DPI? But I don't know. I just don't have as much confidence in the Buffalo Bills as of late, especially after that Jags game. And I know they came out and beat the Jets, but everybody should come out and beat the Jets. So I'm mm, that, that's a really tough call for that team because I could see them picking it back up, but I could also see them getting into an even further skid where they struggle. Let's talk about the Patriots now. We talked about their return to excellence as they just thumped the Cleveland Browns, which is a really quality win at this point in the season. The Chargers before that were a quality win as well. But, Daniel, they're going to be thrown into the fire. Uh, outside of the Thursday night game against the Falcons, uh, outside of that, you have to play the Titans, who are leading their division, one of the better teams in football right now. Um, even without uh, King Henry. Then you've got Buffalo twice. You've got the Colts. Now, you finished here against the Jaguars and the Dolphins, and that's the team teams you want to play at the end of the season when you're fighting for a playoff spot. However, I'm buying the success that the Patriots have right now. I'm not buying them finishing better than 500 uh, for those four games after Atlanta, the Titans, two against the Bills and the Colts. I can understand that, uh, but I honestly like the way things have come together for the Patriots. They've consistently shown the ability to run the ball uh, regardless of who's in the backfield. Ramondre Stevenson's coming off a big week. And Mac Jones has been the best rookie quarterback so far this year. And I think I'm, I'm going to feel really terrible because I forget uh, the Twitter thread that I saw. I didn't forget who it came from. Uh, but it was, it was basically pointed out to me that it seems when we're evaluating quarterbacks, we've forgotten that not every quarterback needs to have an arm like Patrick Mahomes or be able to run around like Lamar Jackson. You need a quarterback that can sit and deliver the ball on time and find holes in the defense. And that's what Mac Jones has been able to do as a rookie for the Patriots. It's fit really well into that offense, and they've surrounded him with enough pieces uh, for him to be able to thrive. You know, It's the cliche that the tight end is the quarter, the rookie quarterback safety net, but they've given him two outstanding tight ends in Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry. Jacoby Myers has started to expand his game this year, and I already talked about the run game. I, I do have some qualms about the defense, but I think it's enough to stand up. So I I would not be surprised if they come out of of that set of games you were you were talking about better than I think a lot of people are expecting. Yes or no question. Uh, if you're Bill, Bill Belichick right now, rest of season, just this season, would you, or I guess pick one of the two, one name answer, would you rather have Justin Fields or Mac, uh, Mac Jones? Mac Jones. All right. Uh, I agree. I just wanted to I, hear you say it. I think in the system you'd want Mac Jones, mm-hmm. but overall as a quarterback in the modern NFL, you'd want Justin Fields. Uh, let's move on to Kansas City now. Uh, I Somebody put it perfectly when they were talking about this AFC division, uh, that every single team had a chance and fumbled the bag. Chargers got off to a great start, fumbled the bag. Raiders then fumbled the bag. Broncos, same thing. Uh, so Kansas City's back on top. We'll talk about the Chiefs, but they also have a chance to fumble the bag. They could lose this game to the Cowboys. I don't know how likely it is. We'll give the, a chance to our resident Cowboys fan to talk about that game along with what's after that, Jacob, because then you've got divisional games three in a row against the Broncos, Raiders, and Chiefs. Uh, Raiders want revenge. Um, the Broncos, you know, they're, they're a team that you never really want to play because they have enough weapons to beat you in the Chargers. You've got Justin Herbert. So uh, it's one of those things. You go 4-0. you got the division. You're back to being the good old Kansas City. But I don't think I would favor them by a touchdown in any of those four games. No, and I think these next three games coming up, they're at home. Like, you got you got the Cowboys at home. you got the Broncos at home. you got the Raiders at home in the next three games. So if they can 
go two and one in those games, I think that would be very pivotal for, pivotal for them. Now, I'm obviously biased, but I think the Cowboys have the best offense out of these three teams with the Broncos, Raiders, and the Cowboys. And the Chiefs' defense doesn't hold up at times. And I think all four of us in this room can agree on that. So I think the, if they can get past the Cowboys, they have a good chance of winning these next two games. But if you're going to L.A., I mean, I don't know how many Chargers fans will show up, let's be honest. But it's it's not necessarily smooth sailing. The, the Bengals are a solid team. The Broncos are, you know, they're coming to their own as of late. It's not an easy schedule, but they if they can come out of this winning three of the next, no, 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 four of the next six, no, seven rather, <laughs> they could probably get, they could probably make the playoffs. All right, now to the Los Angeles Chargers. Again, another team that got off to such a hot start, Luke, and then they uh, dropped a couple of games in a row, including their last game loss uh, to the Vikings and a team that the Patriots beat. So they've lost two of their last three. Tough matchup on Monday Night Football against the Steelers. Sunday Night Football, excuse me. Uh, and then a divisional rival against the Broncos. This is, to me, the AFC team that I think I'm buying the least. And it, I don't know why I hate them more than Kansas City as a Raider fan, but I do. I see them losing to the Steelers. I don't see the Broncos being a guarantee. And I see them losing to the Bengals. Now you've got the Giants after that. Then you've got Kansas City. And you've got the Texans. So some easier games upcoming. But like I said, I see them losing three of their next or two of their next three. Yeah, yeah, I could see that too. This is an interesting division to watch because there's so many divisional matchups with this specific one here in the next few weeks. Them and the AFC North. Like, those are the two divisions where you're going to see a lot of things shaken up over the next few weeks. But the Chargers, I mean, it feels so weird because they seemed so promising at the beginning of the year. And now they've just hit a horrible skid and they're playing like just an average team whenever they were stellar at the beginning of the season. I mean,. As far as I know, they haven't suffered any major injuries, have they? Like, is there anyone? No. Okay. Yeah, and it's just, it just, it, they feel like a much worse football team now than they did at the beginning of the year. I mean, their their front seven is horrible. I mean, Austin Eckler is okay in the run game. Where has Mike Williams been? My fantasy team is begging <laughs> that question. So, I don't know. They got to figure out a way to just get things going again. Just start, tr start trying to do what you were doing. That's all you can do at this point. Sure. Uh, and I will uh, briefly touch on the Raiders. That was the Chargers there. And they're second in the AFC uh, West right now, so don't get me wrong. They've got a couple of things going their way, and obviously it's always not fun to bet against Justin Herbert. Uh, my Raiders next. Things are bleak. Uh, that Giants loss is going to come down to be just an absolute thorn in their side because they're no longer favored. You looked at the Bengals game at the beginning of the season, you're like, oh, the Bengals are going to be kind of fun, and then Herbert's going to hurt Herbert. Burrow's going to get hurt, and it's going to be an easy win. Now it's not no longer an easy win. Um, you've got the Cowboys after that. Obviously, I'm not going to pick the Raiders to win that game. As an unbiased fan, I like our chances, but, I, again, uh, without a legitimate deep threat with Deshaun Jackson – Catches one ball, turns sideways, runs into the defender, and gets it punched out. It's the stupidest thing. Washington football team, after that, they're starting to wake up. You've got the rematch with Kansas City. You've got a game in Cleveland after that, and it's cold-weather car. You've got the Broncos, Colts. It's, it's, a, it's a brutal end of the season. Raiders control their own destiny, as many teams do, if they can win out. but Or not win out, obviously, but uh, win more games than not. They've got to get to 10 wins. And I think that will be the question I ask you, Daniel, before I give you the opportunity to talk about the Denver Broncos. We look at all these teams so far, Bills, Patriots, Chiefs, Chargers. 10 wins to me seems to be the magic number for a postseason spot. It used to be 9, 9.5, especially in the AFC where things are so wide open. You introduce the 17th game. 11 is, in my opinion, a guarantee. But 
10, I think, is where you start the conversation to expecting to be a playoff team. You can answer that question and then give me your thought about the Broncos who sit at 5-5. Five and five. I think 10 games is probably that benchmark you're looking for to be a guaranteed team to get in. Uh, moving beyond that to the Broncos, I like some of the things this team is doing, but I just don't know if it's cohesive enough uh, on all fronts for them to get into the playoffs. Like Teddy Bridgewater has done some good things. Getting Jerry Judy back is huge for that passing game. But beyond that, I I'm just not a, a huge believer in uh, Teddy Bridgewater as a ceiling raiser for your offense. You haven't gotten a consistent running game out of either Melvin Gordon or Javante Williams. Yep. You thought you were going to get that from Williams maybe after a 100-yard performance a couple of weeks ago, but still neither one of them has emerged as somebody that can consistently uh, run the ball for you at a high clip. You look at the defense, Vic Fangio has a great defensive mind. There's a reason he was a defensive coordinator in the league for so long. Uh, but I, I just don't think it's enough to overcome that offense. Uh, simply put, I don't think the offense is diverse enough for them to be able to find their way into the playoffs uh, when your options generally are Teddy Bridgewater uh, throwing it to three very similar receivers and handing it off to inconsistent running backs. Uh, let's turn our attention down to Luke and his division. I'll give you the option of talking about both teams. I didn't want to include the Titans on this list because I think they're the biggest guaranteed lock of anybody right now. Uh, by the way, it needs to be Foreman getting carries for them, not, not the, it the, absolutely the does. carcass of Adrian Peterson. Yeah. Not just for my fantasy team, but because he's significantly better. Yeah. I was really disappointed by Jeremy McNichols, but I will say this. If this happens again with uh, uh, Derrick Henry, I still really like Darrington Evans. Um so you can talk about the Titans, I guess, just a really simple yes or no as to whether or not you think they're going to maintain the top of the division. And then after that, pivot to the Colts, who I thought were going to have just an absolute cellar dweller of a season. They pick up two wins in a row against the Jets and the Jaguars. I get it. Obviously, they've got much tougher games upcoming against the Bills uh, and the Buccaneers before they play the Texans and things get a little bit easier. Uh, are the Colts somebody you think, just simply because of how bad the other two teams in that division are, that could also get into the postseason with the Titans? Oh, I think they'll get into the postseason. I, I think they'll get into the postseason. I don't think they'll come back and take the division. That would practically take a miracle for that to happen. And people thought that miracle was Derrick Henry getting hurt, and now they need more. So, yeah, I, the Colts will make it. I believe that I honestly could see them finishing this final stretch 5-2, and two, honestly, to finish with a 10-7 and seven record. Um, you got Like, they almost beat the Rams whenever the Rams were at their peak here at the beginning of the season. Who knows what's happened to them then? But... I could see them maybe dropping Vegas, but I think they'll win that. But I think my two locks for them to lose will be Tampa and Arizona. So they could, I think, 5-2 and two at the very worst, and I think they'll make postseason for sure. Let's start our attention now to the Baltimore Ravens, uh, and Jacob will give you the honor of talking about them. What an odd loss to the Dolphins that they're just coming off of. Get stomped by the Bengals three weeks ago, sneak by the Vikings, and then... They lose to the Dolphins for a team that's sitting at the top of their division. They got a matchup with a, an okay Bears defense that Justin Fields has been handed the keys to, and a lot of people think now is going to be the, the point in the season where he turns it on. I'm not there yet. And you've got Browns, Steelers, Browns, Packers, Bengals, Rams, Steelers. We'll look at the upcoming schedules for the other teams in this division, but surely they're not as tough as Baltimore's. Yeah, it's the gauntlet. I mean, the Browns might be the easiest game they got on the schedule. And the, the Ravens seem to win the games. When they, they wake up some days and they're like, you know what, we're going to win today. I mean, they win the games they're supposed to sometimes. Sometimes they don't. I mean, but you shouldn't get walloped by the Bengals 41-17 to at home. Mm -mm. Should never happen. It shouldn't happen. 
And then, you know, that Dolphins game was like, what, 3-3? It felt like going into the fourth quarter and then the Dolphins just pulled away. If you're, the, if you're Baltimore, you can't let games that close against teams that bad float away in the pivotal, in the latter parts of the, of the game. It, they're just not disciplined enough, and I think, I think that's where it comes into play. So if they can get past the Bears, I mean, they, which they should, if they, if they lost every game, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked, but I'd be like, that's tough. That's a tough <laughs> schedule. <laughs> I don't blame you. Luke, did you want to yeah, add? Yeah, I just wanted to add that I really don't have a lot of confidence in this Ravens team. I see them finishing 4-4 four and four at best. You, I think we need to remember in week one they required a Clyde Edwards-Alaire to drop the ball mm-hmm. in order for them to win. And they also required a record-breaking field goal to break to beat the Lions. I agree. The Lions. So, yeah. yeah. I, it, it, from what we've seen from the Ravens, I really don't have a lot of faith in them heading into the postseason. I'm not sure I buy them winning their division. Also, honestly. at I, one point, we don't have – I don't either. Uh, at what point do we talk about them struggling to develop offensive talent? I mean, it's not fair that J.K. Dobbins is hurt. Hollywood Brown's gone nowhere. I know everybody likes Rashad Bateman, but Duvernay's been a non-starter. I understand he was a later-round pick. Um, Daniel, I like the Raiders and their loss to the Giants that I thought was going to be a launching pad for them to have a competitive rest of the season. I think you could unfortunately make the same case for the Steelers tying uh, with the Lions. You've got the Chargers this week. Like I said, I picked the Steelers to win that game, not because I'm confident in them, just because I'm not a huge Charger fan right now. But then Bengals-Ravens, Vikings at that point in the season maybe the doors could have blown off for Kirk Cousins and that becomes an easier win than it seems right now uh but then you've got the Titans after that then the Chiefs then the Browns and the Ravens not quite as difficult as the Ravens end of season schedule but it's a close second it is I think the rest of the Steelers season is going to be decided by how they respond this week against Los Angeles if they roll over and die uh because they went out and played terrible against the Detroit Lions your season's over it's it's just that simple in my opinion you're not sure if Ben Roethlisberger is going to play this week. I think they're cautiously optimistic. They are practicing as if Mason Rudolph is going to start against Los Angeles, which is an absolute non-starter for me. Mm-hmm. If Mason Rudolph starts this game against Los Angeles, you are going to lose. It's that simple. If Dwayne Haskins is active, you have to consider putting him in the game at some point against Los Angeles because Mason Rudolph is not going to win that football game for you. I don't think Dwayne Haskins will either, but it's at the very least another option. Minka Fitzpatrick is out this Sunday, so you're sliding Trey Norwood, a rookie who's been a situational package DB for you, into your starting free safety position. You're coming off of a tie with potentially the worst team in the league. You are missing potentially your starting quarterback, and potentially your best defensive back. You're definitely missing your best defensive back. If you do not turn around and respond and beat a Los Angeles Chargers team that is down on its luck right now, your season is over. I would agree. This uh, is the pivot point of the season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I, I agree. I, <laughs> I, mean, I That's all I wanted to say. I was just pointing to him to say I agree. It's just they, they need to draft a quarterback in this next draft. They Can he pick it? They need to find their future. Kenny Pickett, and thus it was said. Um, uh, The Bengals next. Bungles. Also fumbled the bag. They're sitting high and tight at the top of that division. Um, Then they lose to the Jets, Jacob, and then they get stomped by the Browns. They are coming off of their bye week, which concerns me as a Raider fan. If we were facing a two-loss Bengal team not off their bye, I'd favor the Raiders in this one, especially in Vegas. But they're coming off of their bye and similar to what the Giants were to Vegas, and similar to what the Lions were for the Steelers. Uh, it becomes a pivot point game for the Bengals. They beat the Raiders. They get back on track. Uh, 
potentially get back into the conversation for even winning the division. But as we look at them as a potential playoff team, uh, you've got the Steelers after that. And if you lose to the Raiders and Ben's healthy, I don't see them beating the Steelers. Chargers after that, 49ers, Broncos, Ravens, Chiefs, Bengals, or uh, Browns, excuse me. Uh, your thoughts? It's a rough schedule. It's not, it's not going to be easy for them these last seven games. And, it's you know, the Bengals win some games they should win. And, you know, against the Lions, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure the high, the best high school football team in the country could beat the Lions at this point. <laughs> but but not the Steelers. But not the Steelers. But I Funny. think, and I think um, you know. They you got the whole room laughing, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and then how do you lose to Mike White and the Jets? Let's be honest here. Mike White. I mean, that's. A Don't talk down on Mike White. His second start left a lot to the imagination. I mean, Mike White, bro. I mean, they're not. They're starting Joe Flacco this week, by the way. They're not Joe starting Joe Flacco. Yeah, man, I, he got traded from the Eagles. That's right. But oh, look at me like I don't know things. I know things. No, I'm, Luke, I know Joe you're, Flacco you're is. You're an extremely knowledgeable. Young I can spell man. Flacco. All right. The second Do C it. is silent. Good for you, man. What is it? What is it? What's it start with? I'm kidding. F L A C C O. Silent Q. Silent Q. Ding. Anyway, uh, but. I, the Bengals, it's it's tough to. I think they could win the, they could win four games or lose four games. So it's 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 up in the air. They, they, in, they control their destiny. Are they in the best spot long term as any team in this division? Yeah. Oh yeah. Got the uh, young quarterback. Obviously, now need to invest in your offensive line. I've uh, got depth at receiver. Joe Mixon has bounced back this year, and he's still got a couple years left in his prime. All right, uh, Luke. Final word goes to the Extra Bowl. Cleveland Browns. They've got the Lions. The Red Hot Lions uh, will not be the first 0-17 team. Could be the very first 0-16-1 team. they got the Lions and the Ravens twice in a row with the bye week sprinkled in there. My Raiders and then the Packers, Steelers, Bengals. That is that is a tough schedule. Who in the world in the AFC has the easy schedule? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, it's the Titans. Okay. It, it's yeah, honestly it the Titans. Yeah. Like the, it, We're looking at all these teams in contention, and you're like, where are the easy teams? Yeah. The, like, They're all the playing each other. The Titans' hardest games are, like, this Sunday against the Patriots, and then they have, like, the 49ers and Steelers. But, mm. like, they have the Dolphins. They play the Texans twice. Or, no, this Sunday against the Texans. Next Sunday is Patriots. Okay. But the Cleveland Browns. They're interesting, man. I genuinely like. You never, you really never know against the, uh, with the, Browns. Yeah, the team I'm talking about right now, <laughs> <clears throat> because Baker Mayfield. I really worry about him long term with that shoulder injury and his, Ugh. insistence to play, and now he's coming off of he's coming in beat up against the Lions. I don't know. And, I mean, I don't think Baker Mayfield's been having a stellar year by any means, but he's definitely a key aspect to that offense. And, you know, oh, man, the the AFC North is so interesting. I'm actually genuinely excited to see how they shake out. But, yeah, I think they're going to lose to the Packers, probably the Steelers. It, it's It's a weird time. It's a weird, weird time for the Cleveland Browns right now. I just want to say this. I think the thing with Baker Mayfield is is that, you know. He's not good. The first, the first Can I remind you that I think it was Jacob Janowski that had the Browns winning the Super Bowl? That was Patrick McKay. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that was Patrick McKay. I'm not that dumb. <laughs> anyway, so I think, I think the thing with Baker Mayfield is his rookie year, you know, he had a solid year. Next season, they figured him out. Last season, new coach. He was tough, tougher to figure out. Now they know the system. They figured him out. Too many commercials. Yeah, too many commercials. Get back on the field. But anyway, I, th- I think, I think the br- the only. Have we talked on this on this show about how unnerving 
those Hulu ads with him and Saquon Barkley are, and, uh, where their heads where their heads are superimposed <laughs> on the really skinny guys. Yeah, I, I gotta say the those are Baker Mayfield commercials. Don't say they're good. funny. Stop it. They're 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 a little get out of here. The new the new one where he's where he's showing the high school kid around like how to house sit. For the stadium, that's pretty funny. I haven't seen yeah. that one. The where only one like, that got where he's like, you need to take the trash out on Thursdays, and there's the, like three dumpsters <laughs> full of trash. The only one that was mildly humorous was the, the Halloween one where he puts the nachos in and then the nachos. Oh, that, that's so that, good. that was okay. That, that, that was okay. One. That one at best. All right, I'm sorry. We got to. I, I still got a point. Okay, be go, really ahead, go ahead. I think the only lock for the Browns to lose, I mean, NFL, there are no locks. Is the Packers. I think they can win every game. All right. Jacob Janowski has them going to the Super Bowl. You heard it here no, first. No, I don't. Uh, it's our year. But you know who is going to the, you know who's going to the Super Bowl? The Washington football team. No. Um, I don't know who's going to the Super Bowl, I'm gonna be completely honest. <laughs> you teach yourself up there. The West All Virginia right. Mountaineers. We gotta conclude this segment mostly because Dan Schuster is waiting to be let in downstairs in the freezing cold. So please one of you two do that. We're gonna take a very quick break when we return. Final segments, the NBA. We're gonna be talking about the Wiz Kids, the Washington Wizards. They're really good at basketball. Take a quick break, NBA to wrap up the show. You're listening to the sports page on U ninety two the Moose. Year two of Mountaineer Soccer under Dan Stratford can be heard all season long on U92. Tune in 30 minutes before every home game and select road games as we bring you comprehensive coverage of the Mountaineers on the pitch. U92 is also the only place for talk sports radio dedicated specifically for men's and women's soccer. Find the kickabout with host Liam Bellin every Wednesday night from 7 to 8. 91.7 FM presents Mountaineer Soccer Live, a service of U92 Sports. The soulful sounds of the blues from Memphis to Kansas City. Across the country and around the world. Hear the distinctively American music that inspired generations of rock and roll and much more. On the Blind Alley, every Sunday morning. At the corner of Sacred and Profane. It's the Blind Alley on U92 The Moose every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Big 19, brought to you by CDC and the Ad Council. Managing today's uncertainty can be overwhelming. We crave security, and it's uncomfortable when we sense a lack of control over our lives. Develop a routine for a more balanced lifestyle with healthy habits and fun. Focus on what you can control, even if it's little things, like a before-bedtime ritual. Find more self-care and coping tips at coping-19.org. He was the heart of your family, and he taught you our history. He helped you fix your first flat. He was the best backyard DJ around, and every time he'd tell a story, he'd own the room. But now more than ever, he may feel alone. Today, older adults and their loved ones are struggling to connect in a time when connection has never been more important. But there is something we can do. Embrace our older loved ones through StoryCorps Connect. With StoryCorps Connect, you can honor seniors remotely with an interview about their life. Every interview will be archived at the Library of Congress, becoming part of American history, so that years from now, future generations can listen in. All right, Grandpa, what's one piece of advice you have for me? Just three words, sweetheart. Live with courage. The man that had the best stories still has plenty of stories to tell. So connect virtually and share the conversation of a lifetime at storycorpconnect.org slash AARP. Connect, honor, share. StoryCorps Connect. A message from AARP, StoryCorps, and the Ad Council.
Little by little, we roll on here in the sports page, 91.7 FM, U92, the Moose. And little by little, I will convince uh, non-Washington Wizard fans that the Washington Wizards are good this year. Uh, I wasn't here on the show last week, as in fact, Dad is back, uh, because I was in Cleveland watching my Wizards at the buzzer. Not quite. Kyle Kuzma hit a corner three with 11 seconds left to the dagger into the soul of the Cleveland Cavaliers to propel the Washington Wizards to victory. They did lose tonight, but before that, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Come on. Uh, you got a couple of dance here, Schuster Woods. From what I understand, you guys did discuss my Washington Wizards last week. Yeah, we did some we did some buy or sell, and it was not kind. From what I understand, it was it was buy or sell on the Wizards having home court advantage in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Oh come on, my brain does like refuse. It was it was a consensus sell. It was a consensus sell between myself, Ben Mackey, our very own Dan Schuster, and John Raley. John, all right, let's uh, let's hear your arguments. Why? All right, I'll, I'll start with a positive one while you guys build your anti one. I love the way this team is defending right now. Wes Unseld's got him playing, a junior, has got him playing expiring, inspiring basketball, excuse me. Uh, the eighth best defense in terms of points allowed, and they guard shots. Teams are just shooting 30% from three against them. That's the best in the NBA. I love that. Teams are shooting just 48% from two point range against them, which is, in fact, the best in the NBA. Bradley Beal, he's special. Monster. He is a, probably at this point a consensus top, what are we going with, 2016 maybe players? 16 players? 15, something like that. Uh, Kyle Kuzma's playing really good ball. He's not in L.A. anymore, so he doesn't have that. And by the way, Beal's averaging 20 a game, and he's shooting 25% from three, and that's going to change. Kyle Kuzma's playing efficient ball away from the highlights of L.A. KCP is as efficient as ever. He's one. Of, he's got one of the lowest turnover rates in the history of basketball. Uh, Dinwiddie, it's taken him a, fi- a, a little while to find his niche in terms of scoring the ball, but he's shooting 38% from distance, and he's not a very efficient scorer from that regard. Montrezl Harrell, the season ended today, is the NBA sixth man, in my opinion. Um, Denny Avdia, everybody laughed at the Wizards for him really struggling last year and the Wizards' inability to draft. He has taken leaps and bounds defensively. It is remarkable. He's one of the best defensive players in this team. I don't know why Raul Neto gets minutes other than the fact that he's Raul Neto. Uh, that, Brazilian. That, that Brazilian guy. Uh, Daniel Gafford, they gave the big contract extension to. I can't really understand that. He had 20 and 9 tonight. He did. He did. I didn't get to look at the box score, but I did see he had a 20 piece. I like Kispert long term for this team as a shooter. Davis Bertans also is a shooter who, for whatever reason, just cannot stay healthy this year. Wizards have a lot of great pieces. They defend well. They can hit shots. They've got multiple guys that can score. And what I liked the most about the Cleveland game was Beal was cheeks that entire game. Dinwiddie did not want to shoot, and the Wizards still won. It was messy, but they got scoring elsewhere. Last year, if one of Westbrook and Beal was playing well, you had a shot to win the game. If both were playing well, you're going to win. If neither were playing well, you are going to lose. And I think that's changed. My argument would be simply put, I don't believe that the talent level is there for this team to be that competitive uh, over the long term. I, I think the model that I think makes sense uh, for this team to try to follow is what's going on with the Utah Jazz. You have uh, an elite scoring guard that you can surround with pieces that fit well around him with Bradley Beal in relation to Donovan Mitchell in that equation. Uh, but I just don't see the supplementary pieces being quite good enough. Spencer Dinwiddie, Mike Conley at this stage of Mike Conley's career – Okay, that, that may be a push on the wings. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to give it to the Jazz every single time over Kuzma and, and KCP with, with what they've got with Bojan uh, and Joe Ingles. And then inside, Daniel Gafford, as compared to Rudy Gobert, is, is not even remotely close, uh, in my opinion. I love Montrez Harrell. I love what he's doing off the bench. I like Denny as a young piece. 
but I just don't necessarily know that the talent level is there for them to continue playing at this high of a level through the rest of the season. Save for adding the pieces from the Lakers and Dinwiddie and taking out Russell Westbrook, there's not a lot different about this team in terms of chemistry. These are guys, a lot of which have played together for the majority of the last couple of years. I think once the pieces start to click into place for teams that have added larger pieces than what Washington added, I think it's going to be much more difficult for them to keep up with teams once they gel uh, around the pieces that they've added in the offseason. Anything you wanted to add to that, Dan? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with what everything Daniel just said. But, like, the Russell Westbrook factor, I'm glad they went away from that because it's it's kind of obvious what he can do. The fact that they can't do. The fact that they got rid of him and got positive pieces back is nothing shy of a miracle. Yeah, it's like, and it's and it's no it's a no-brainer that all these young guys on the team right now have obvious chemistry, and it's been working pretty well. But, like, like he said, I feel like there's just more the, – the room – is going to be filled with Bucks and the Knicks are going to come back up there. Like I feel like the Sixers as well. I feel like they're going to come up there. I think there's just more space. Sure. Before uh, we move on, can Aaron Holiday just have Roland Neto's minutes, please? I agree. It makes no sense. I, I watch, love Aaron Holiday. I watch Neto play and do absolutely Neto. nothing. I I do like me Aaron Holiday. Uh, two real quick things before we give it to Dan and talk about the Sixers. Um, uh, one, Rui Hachimura is coming back, and I'm excited to see how he fits into the current cast of characters. Number two, I think you guys would agree with this. Wizards are in a really good spot when it comes to where they go from here because they've got a really good framework in place, and in a second, they can make room for a max slot. I, they can get off of Kuzma. They can get off of Trez if they need to. They can get off of Davis Bertans. You've got two very capable guys. Uh, Bradley Beal, who's used to not getting leading teams in touches because he played with John Wall for so long, and Spencer Dinwiddie, who has no problem being third or fourth chair uh, if they bring in a superstar, if was if the Wizards finish this year as a top six team in the East, and they have they draft a good player, Corey Kispert shows what he can do. They can move off pieces and get room for a max plot just like that. And I think that this is significantly better from where this Wizards team was when they had so much money committed to John Wall, Bradley Beal, and Jan frickin' Mahimi. Uh, I, I'm excited. Uh, I, I agree with you. Just to to go forward on that future a little bit more, there's a tweet I saw earlier today from Bobby Marks uh, from ESPN mm-hmm. who. Is, is outstanding when it comes to talking about front offices. And this is a direct quote from him. I will go on the record and say that the Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyle Kuzma, Aaron Holiday, Montrez Harrell, KCP trade will go down as one of the greatest transactions in the last 20 years. I would agree. A credit to Tommy Shepard and his front office in Washington. Tommy Shepard's done an outstanding job of completely overhauling the outlook of that team moving forward. He was given the job full-time today, yeah, by the way. It might be a little overanalyzation thinking about it right now. But I think that in the long run, that like if these teams, like if this team can stay together and stay with the chemistry and stay up in the ladders, I I feel like they can go a very long way for a long time. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, things were exciting, Dan. Talk about these 76ers before they lost five in a row. Uh, it seems to me to be a top-heavy team. Now I understand Toby Harris has only played nine games, Embiid's only played nine games, Matisse Thybulle's only played nine games. So you got to get everybody healthy at the same time, but not diagnose the problems for me of what's been going on in Sixers country. Um, the the five games, the five consecutive losses has all to do with injury and just not having a superstar on the floor. There hasn't been a superstar on the floor, and it's very evident that without a superstar, we cannot play well. We could just we cannot we can't be good teams. And that's like, it's what I've been used to the past few years. What us being able to beat those good teams, us being at the top of the ladder. But um, without Joel Embiid, you just can't you can't expect Drummond to 
get every single rebound. He gets every single rebound. Like, everybody is so small. We're lacking depth in the center position. I mean, George and Yang comes off the bench, and he has to get rebounds. But, like, I think there's just a lot asked of lost uh, a lot ass out of everybody that's uh, starting right now. And Tyrese Maxey, sophomore season, averaging what he does right now, I, I'd love to see him uh, grow into a little uh, leader. But I think the uh, the problems start with the um, Ben Simmons all around that. We we just need someone to, to lock down defensively and to grab rebounds and to score points. And that is just not anything that was has been going on with right now. Before we move on into that, and I know this is off topic for the NBA segment, there's an elite tier Mac rain game going on in oh, Muncie, Indiana insane. right it's now. Flooding. Uh, it's is it Western Michigan or Central Michigan? Central, Central Michigan. Michigan and Ball State right action. now in the fourth quarter. What kind of committed fan do you have to be to sit in a monsoon on a Wednesday night for Ball State Central Michigan? Awful. Um, Sixers, Daniel. Uh, Dan said earlier, and he, he threw it off to the side that he said that he felt the Sixers could be one of those teams that replaced the Wizards in the top four. Don't know if I'm there yet. I have to wait and see what they get for Simmons. Uh, but losing yeah, just, five in a we row. We just need another piece. We're just losing we're, five in a row. Is like obviously, a couple pieces away from completing the puzzle and mm. coming back to what we were. But I'm hopeful. The, the Sixers are a difficult conversation to have just because of the raw talent that they do have on the team. That's, it just seems isn't coming together right now. No, I Seth mean, Curry has had a cold streak, too. He, that, that's after his incredible start. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and you've only got nine games apiece out of Embiid and Harris, and those were the guys, obviously, you're going to be relying on. Yep. I, I really like what I've seen from Tobias Harris so far, uh, expanding upon what he's had in the past. Can I, can I just say, favorite moves that I was about to say that I love moves. Tobias Harris, but I do not he like just that needs, contract. He needs, he needs another, no, way, way over. Yeah, he, I love him as a player, but like, move, is like, he a max player? No. No, no way. No. Yeah, that was a terrible decision, and just letting Jimmy Butler walk. <laughs> See you later. But, um... Yeah, wish wish we could have uh, Jimmy buckets back at the team, but uh, it's not how things work out. It's not how it's mo- that's how it's meant to be in Philly right now. I think it's partially being contributed to because of the volume of shots he's had to take. But I think Tyrese Maxey's really proving himself mm-hmm. to be a legitimate he's, piece on this team. He's yeah. averaging seventeen and a half points, three rebounds, four and a half assists. If he can be a lead guard for you, that's huge. Because I coming into the NBA thought the ceiling raiser for him was going to be if he could run a team. If he had to play off the ball. I didn't think he was going to be much more than a bench piece. If he can run the point and go get buckets for you, you've got a serious piece on your hands when it comes to a future contender. I really like what he's doing. I like Shake Milton a lot off the bench. If Curry can get his shooting going back, I think the pieces are there for this team to be successful. Again, you just need Embiid and Harris to be around and be more consistent. And then whatever you get for Ben Simmons, I think is icing on the cake. I think this is a playoff team without Ben Simmons or without whatever you get for him. Uh, but overall, I think this is this is pretty serious uh, for this 76ers team to at least be able to make the playoffs, even if they don't add something in exchange uh, for Ben Simmons. Um, I want to move on now quickly because we got to get to some of the Western Conference as well. <laughs> I'm sorry. I resent you. <laughs> I'll explain that to you off the air, Dan. I apologize. All right, three teams I wanted to touch on really quickly in the Eastern Conference. I understand you guys. We've talked extensively about the struggles of Atlanta and Milwaukee, and we'll try to diagnose those problems in a second. Uh, but, Daniel, I wanted to go to you first because this is a team we've talked about a lot. I loved, loved the Pacers. I don't really like DeMontis Sabonis, but I think he's a really good player. Uh, they're getting 16 points per game from Duarte to Justin Holiday, Miles Turner, who I love, and I'm hoping they trade um, if they yeah. continue to struggle because I think he deserves to play somebody somewhere else. 
Uh, Malcolm Brogdon can, is just an absolute bucket for this team. Karis LeVert, I like that trade. Trading Oladipo for a long-term piece in Karis LeVert. And yet, they're not any good right now. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Uh, I think Malcolm Brogdon really holds together more on offense for that team than I think anybody really realized. And since he has come back, they've been all right, but they still haven't been good. So I just don't think that front court situation is particularly tenable uh, between Turner and Sabonis. They just cover each other's space too much. I don't think Sabonis is a modern foreman in the NBA, which means he can't play with a player like Miles Turner. Lavert's only played seven games. Again, he's still getting into the swing of things with this team, figuring out exactly what's going on with them. They've been better since he's been back. He's they're, I believe, four and three uh, since he's been uh, back with the team. So uh, that's good for them. Chris Duarte is never going to be a superstar, but he is a dude, man. Yeah, the fact that he's given fourteen a game for this team and they're not winning games is shocking to me. It, I agree. Uh, again, it, it, it just doesn't. It just doesn't work out to me. What goes on beyond that first group? I like T.J. McConnell, but if he's—I was about to say—if he's your sixth man, which he is, T.J. McConnell's playing 26 minutes a game for you. You're not in great shape. If Justin Holiday's playing almost 30 minutes a game for you, you're not in great shape. And then you go beyond those guys, and there's just not depth there. Jeremy Lamb has taken a dive this year. He's only giving you seven a game. I like Torrey Craig to an extent, uh, but he's just not getting it done for you. Uh, Keelan Martin is playing 14 minutes a game for this team and scoring seven points per game. That's great, but there's just not quality depth on this team. I think if you can move either Turner or Sabonis, in my eyes, you move Turner and get multiple pieces back, I think this is a Pacers team that could get something going and turn a corner. But at this point, if the roster stays constructed the way that it is, I just don't see things turning around. If the Washington Wizards trade Davis Bertans, Ruby Hachimura, and a first-round pick for Miles Turner right now, do you think the Wizards are then a top-four team in the Eastern Conference? I That's an interesting so. conversation. I still don't think the talent level Just curious. hits high enough. Of if a he, I hope he gets traded. If he, if he will, it most likely won't be to the Wizards, but Miles Turner is one of my favorite players in the league. There's also absolutely no front-court depth yeah, on this team for the Pacers. Lack of depth on the bench. It is, it's a pretty bizarre team You're, to look at. And their defense is locked down. They're, they will lock down on defense every game. doesn't matter who they're playing. And it kind of it kind of reminds me of just like whenever I watch them, it's just like a – 90s basketball yeah, type. You're of right. It's like my dad would watch them and be like, "That's how. That's how they. That's how they're supposed to play it right there." <laughs> I, I get that you can rotate Sabonis and Turner in and out at the five, and that Sabonis could play the four for you. But you look. Well, at he the could bench. last year when he was hitting shots. Now he's right. not hitting three. But you look at the bench. I feel like he can get back into his stride though. And you look at the guys that are playing the most minutes after your starting five. You've got Holiday at 29 a game, which is inflated because he was starting when Lavert was out. Right. McConnell at 26 a game. Torrey Craig is your next guy at 17 a game. He's 6'7", but he plays on the wing. Keelan Martin's playing 14 a game. He's 6'4". Jeremy Lamb is a 6'6 guard playing 15 minutes a game. Brad Wanamaker's playing 14 a game, and he's like a 6'3 point guard. Yeah, he's 6'3". O'Shea Brissett is a wing playing 12.8 minutes a game. You don't get to a true front court player coming off your bench until you get to Goga Batadze, who's playing 8 minutes a game. Is it Batadze, by the way? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Okay. Go Batadze. There is absolutely no front court depth on this team. And I think that's really running where you're running into a bigger problem. There's nobody to put out there if you take Turner or Sabonis off the floor that you're not going to get demonstrably smaller with your lineups. 
And again, that's why you trade for Davis Bertans, Rui Hachimura, and uh, Thomas Bryant and a first round pick for and shed ties with Miles Turner and lets the bonus play the five. Crazy. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying. Uh, we're not going to talk about Milwaukee much because I think we all expect it to be some. Uh, what's the word? You win a championship. You you get a little lazy there at the beginning of the season. Hangover. Yeah, a little bit of hangover. That's the word. Um, I don't have the Trey Young quote pulled up in front of me, but what was it that he said about regular season games feeling like they don't matter? That's something along those lines. You this team's not. This team's not winning games. You talk about a lack of scoring. Danilo Gallinari is averaging seven points per game this year. That is unacceptable. Lou Williams is averaging six points per game for this team. That is Lou, unacceptable. Uh, Lemon Pepper Lou might be done. He's done. Cam Reddish is averaging 11 points, in my opinion. That's unacceptable. DeAndre- Cam Reddish in general has just been unacceptable. I think so. All right. I, well, somebody on this team, besides John Collins and Trey Young, has got to score. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich is okay. Clint yeah. Capella is okay, but everything's handed to him. Don't get me wrong. DeAndre Hunter, okay. Kevin DeAndre- Herter has been a huge disappointment since his rookie season. Yes. And you know, they just extended him. The DeAndre players. Hunter is the one that I think is is the biggest issue for me because he really looked like he was getting ready to turn a corner before he got hurt last year. He played 23 games last year, was averaging 15 points a game, five rebounds, two assists, and playing lockdown defense. You're just not getting that out of him this year. Uh, his three-point percentage is up. He's up to almost 40% from three uh, from 32 last year, but he's just not been as productive. He's taken the same amount of shots, but it's just not translating. He's shooting 45% from the field, even though his three-point rate is up. He's down three and a half points on his overall field goal percentage. He's not going to the glass as much. He's only averaging just shy of three rebounds per game. His playmaking's taken a hit. He's under an assist per game after averaging two last year, and his defensive numbers are down. So he's only playing less than two less minutes per game. He's getting the same shots. It's just not translating. I get he's coming off of a major injury, but if you want to look at reasons to say that the Hawks have taken a downturn, I think for me it's looking at Herter and it's looking at Hunter because those are two guys that were crucial pieces for them you thought moving forward that were going to allow them to turn a corner. Herter's been Awful from three this year. That's awful. his awful. skill. Yeah, He's that, shooting thirty percent he, from he three. That's what awful. Kevin Herter was extended to do. He's shooting thirty yeah, percent from he's three. Not even averaging ten right. He's av- he's shooting eight shots a game. He's shooting less than he did as a rookie. I, I I just don't understand what's going on with this team. To where you've got guys that seemed like they were turning a corner last year. We can talk about Cam Reddish too. Uh, just simply because he's playing less. He's putting up essentially the same numbers he did last year in less minutes, so I don't have as much of a problem with him. He's still inefficient as all get-out. Mm-hmm. He's playing 22 and a half minutes a game, putting up 11 points, and shooting 38% from the field. By the way, look at their front court depth since you have the pull There's up. There's nothing there. Their backup center is Gorgi Dang, who's playing eight minutes a game. Yes, you're going to get Onyeka Okongwu back from injury at some point, which is going to help with that. But in the meantime, you got nothing. Gallinari can play the four, but he, he really leaves a lot to be desired on defense. John Collins, uh, he guards up a lot of fives. Yeah, John Collins guards up the lineup a lot. Capella is an eraser at the rim. And that's just what this team has come to, I feel like, yeah. just like relying on John Collins. But until you get Okongwu back, your front court depth is crap. Your wings that you thought were ready to They're turn a corner average. have taken a step back, and your two stars are getting it done, but beyond that, and they still what don't do wanna, you have left? And they still don't want to play with each other. Then they had their chance to change, trade John Collins and get a huge return, and now I feel like they wouldn't get the same. 
because we talked about Indiana shedding off one of their two stars who also really don't want to play with each other because they fit so much alike. I don't know what you do now if you're this team when your star player is saying, yeah, these games don't feel like they matter to us. Well, you're not in a playoff spot right now. I feel like they they weren't they were like this last year in the beginning of the season they were just a slow building team and then yeah. by playoffs and, you're just like wow how'd, and don't you get got me wrong it? I looked at this team and I thought wow this team could be good enough to be the three seed because of all their wing depth yeah, all of their shooting they're terrible right now and now we're starting to see their deficiencies with uh, inefficient wing play and whatever else all right we need to turn our attention I, I now go ahead I, I was just gonna say I don't love directing things at at coaching decisions and stuff like that I'm starting to question whether keeping Nate McMillan full-time was the right move for the Hawks? That is a good question. That is a very good question. Because I get that he came in, and I get that this team made the turnaround last year after Lloyd Pierce was fired. But the development that went on under Lloyd Pierce has taken a step back this year. Let's turn now to the Western Conference uh, and the Dallas Mavericks. I wanted to touch on them very briefly because obviously they have one of the best players in the NBA. They're the three seed right now uh, with what they're doing with a roster that – Based on the rosters we just talked about with middling teams, I frank, quite frankly don't think is very good. But yet they're the three seed. Luka Doncic is playing great ball. Uh, second leading scorer from this team is Kristaps Porzingis, although he's only played in eight games this season. They need him to play well or they need to get off of his contract, and they're not going to get off of his contract, so they need him to play well. Uh, Jalen Brunson averaging 15 just to me doesn't scream sustainability. I don't know if anybody would disagree with that. And Tim Hardaway Jr. next to him in double figures. Uh, the reason I wanted to talk about this team, because I don't think any of us are buying them as the three seed long term. And if you are, please interrupt me. Um, the question I become is you look at this roster and there's not a lot of building behind what they've done since they've acquired Luka Doncic. And Doncic was handed to them because he fell down the board. Well, they traded up to get him. I apologize, but they, he wasn't the first or second. Was he the third pick in the draft? He went behind DeAndre Ayton and uh, Marvin Bagley. Uh, Marvin Bagley, yeah, yikes. Um, so, my question, I guess, I ask is: if we don't think they're going to be the three seed in the Western Conference, which none of us think they do, what of these current moves right now to you say that they've built a good team around Luka Doncic? It's interesting. I'll let you go. I I can go. It's interesting to me because I feel like they've made moves that make sense, but they just haven't clicked for some reason. I loved the addition of Reggie Bullock this year as a shooter off the bench. He's giving you 20 minutes a game, but he's shooting at the worst three-point clip since he was a rookie. He's shooting 32% from three, which is just not it. Uh, for him, beyond that, they haven't added to the roster. They took a flyer on Frank Nidalekina, who's not playing bad as your backup point guard, but he's not a needle mover. You're still rolling out Dorian Finney-Smith in your starting lineup. And Hardaway. Like, I feel like Finney-Smith and Hardaway have been there for a century. I love Tim Hardaway Jr., but he can't be your number three scoring option if you want to be a top four seed particularly in the Western Conference. I'm not high on Dwight Powell. I'm not high on Maxi Kleba. These guys just don't work for me, particularly in this system. You've run it back with this same team for the last three years, and it's just not working. I need, In my eyes, they need to move off Porzingis. Potentially, you need to move Tim Hardaway Jr. based on his contract, and you need to find other front court pieces beyond that going to take a very quick break and we'll come back with the conclusion of the nba segment here on the sports page just a couple of minutes so stay with us uh, as you're listening to 91.7 fm u 92 
Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. WWVU-FM, Morgantown, established 1982. I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. <laughs> COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel, but now there are vaccines, and they are the very first step that let us get back to what we miss most. It's okay to have questions. Is it safe? Should I wait? Now, get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision when vaccines are available to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Stardate, November 17th. Flat earthers occasionally show up in the headlines. They raise a bit of a ruckus, demand proof that the earth isn't flat, then vanish again. But humanity has known that earth is round for about 2,500 years. And some of the first proof was provided by Aristotle, a Greek philosopher and scientist. Other Greeks had proposed a round Earth before Aristotle's time, but they didn't provide any evidence to back it up. In a book published around 350 BC, Aristotle did. One of his ideas was an early concept of gravity. Based on his observations of how things work, he reasoned that every portion of Earth is pulled toward a common center. That would naturally result in the creation of a sphere not a flat plane. Aristotle also knew that if you watch the night sky from different locations, you see different stars. Observers in Egypt and Syria could see stars peeking above the southern horizon that were never visible to viewers who were farther north. That could happen only on a curved surface. Finally, Aristotle talked about lunar eclipses. As Earth's shadow passes across the face of the moon, the edge of the shadow is curved an indication that our world is round and not flat at all. You can see that bit of evidence for yourself late tomorrow night because there's an almost total lunar eclipse. Earth's shadow will cover almost the entire moon. It'll be visible across all of the United States. More about that tomorrow. You can find out how to subscribe to our daily program at stardate.org. For the McDonald Observatory, I'm Billy Henry. Can't say no to a star date on a lovely Wednesday afternoon. I'm here to wrap up the sports page. Dan and Dan and Luke are still here. Uh, and we're talking about the Dallas Mavericks. And while the star date was playing, uh, Dan Schuster, I was looking at this team, and we talked about how we don't love it. There's some pieces that we like. We don't love how it's built around Luka Doncic. It is a miracle to me that this team right now is 9-4. and four. They're 22nd in terms of points per game. They don't turn the ball over. I get that. They're not shooting the ball particularly well. They're 23rd in the NBA in three-point percentage. 28th in the league in free throw percentage. There's not any defensive stats that stack up to me. So not only is this team a fraud, they might be a fraud in a major way based on outside of the fact that they've got Luka Doncic playing for them. And again, if they continue to 
struggle to find the right pieces around him. And I understand that the albatross of the, if you wouldn't mind, Daniel, looking up the Kristaps Porzingis contract length, the albatross of his contract over them continue to struggle to build around their star. Yeah, I feel like the Kristaps Porzingis uh, uh, Five years, $158 million. But, like, what year of the contract is it? Uh, he's an unrestricted free agent in 2024. Oh, my goodness. And he's probably played, like, what, 55% of his games? <laughs> Flashback, by the way. He's making $31.6 million oh, a year, and is this that is the third year of the contract. That might be the worst contract. This is the third year of a five-year contract, and it's scaled. It goes up to 33.8 oh. next year and 36 the year after. Can I flash you guys back to my freshman year when uh, Nick Severini said on our airwaves that Chris Asperzingas was a top-20 player in the NBA? The unicorn, Nick Severini man. was wrong. <laughs> um, all right, so we won't spend a ton of time. Uh, yes or no question, Daniel Woods, then Dan Schuster. Luka Doncic is a member of the Dallas Mavericks organization in four years. No. Yes. I feel like they have to. I feel like they have to hold on to him. All right. Unless that, they got to they move pieces around. Those contracts are pretty pretty hefty. That front office is too chaotic. It is pretty chaotic. Yeah, they got a lot going on. Probably selling NFTs to... <laughs> Like, who on this team do you want to – like, here's a, a – no, I feel like if, there's no value. I'm sorry. Either. No, if, if, no I'm value. sorry. If I'm Luka Doncic and I'm the most dynamic young player in the world and you tell me I'm going to war with Dwight Powell and Dorian Thompson-Robinson, I'm telling you to shut up. Well, Not okay. Dorian, Dorian Finney-Smith. Dorian Thompson-Robinson plays quarterback for UCLA. Okay. I'm sorry. But th- it's a disservice to potentially the best young player in the world that the this joke of a front office has put this around him. I get that there was a bunch of stuff going on last year with Bob Vulgaris, who's not even there anymore, getting getting in the ear of Mark Cuban and taking precedent over Donnie Nelson. But this is an absolute disservice to one of the most talented players in the world that you look at him and say, you've got to go to war with Dwight Powell, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Dorian Finney-Smith. Dorian Finney-Smith. Whatever. <laughs> Dwight Powell, Dorian Finney-Smith. And Jalen Brunson. All right. Those are your guys that you've got to be in the trenches with. Let me, that makes me sick. Let me ask you guys this before we move on to our final topic of discussion. Both of you, and I could throw myself into this mix, but I'll ask it to you guys. Both of you are fans of uh, NBA teams that are struggling right now in different ways. Timberwolves are not in a playoff spot right now. Are close. They're the 10th seed or something like that. And the Sixers obviously need some more depth. You get an alert on your phone right now that your respective team has completed a trade to acquire multiple pieces from the Dallas Mavericks. Find me a collection of players in this group right now, besides Luka Doncic, and obviously Kristaps Porzingis as a player, not as a contract, that you like as a trade package that comes to your team. And I'm not saying, like, the Timberwolves trade a 2027 uh, second-round pick for Reggie Bullock. I mean, like, for... The Sixers, they've traded Ben Simmons to the Mavericks. For you guys, for the uh, Timberwolves, they've traded D'Lo to the Dallas Mavericks. Is there a combination of players right now that you would deem, not picks, players, that you would deem acceptable that hence are the depth pieces around Luka Doncic? Yeah, I I think uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. for um, Tim Hardaway, Kali Stein. I completely forgot he played for this team. Thank you for uh, pointing that out. You know out. what? Not Kali Stein. I'll take the White Powell. And um, so you think that's acceptable? Anthony Smith for I not really because I feel like <laughs> not at all for Ben. My my point is I'm trying to get you to say yeah, that there like, isn't a package. There's no value on this team mm-hmm. that I would ever like want besides Luka Doncic. And you're right. Now I see that this service by Mark Cuban in that front office is disgusting. 
I, I don't necessarily love it simply because I you're not getting the value of the player. Uh, but if if you put a gun to my head and say you have to make a trade, I would trade D'Angelo Russell for Jalen Brunson, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Maxi Kleba if Kleba was healthy. It's still you know you get what I'm saying. Yeah, and that's, and that's still lesser value than what you should be able to get for D'Angelo Russell. Another way of putting it, and I, again we need to move on, is say you're the GM of the Mavericks and Luka Doncic storms into your office and says, "I want a superstar on this team with me right now. Get me a superstar." You're mortgaging right now. your future. Well, you have nothing. You have you're, picks. You're, you're, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're mortgaging your future and trading picks. Yeah. You're trading your next four drafts. Because you have no draft ca- or, uh, uh, trade capital at all. I mean, Jalen Brunson Porzingis is a sell-high. You've yeah. got Porzingis on a terrible contract uh, yes. and all of your draft futures. You have a sell-high Jalen Brunson. you got Tim Hardaway, who also isn't really on the greatest of contracts for somebody that's scoring 14 points per game. We've got to leave it there. I, I, I apologize for Dallas Mavericks fans that are listening. We all want to see Luka Doncic succeed. And I hope for your sake it is uh, in uh, Dallas. Last question, Dan, I'll ask it to you first. Two other teams that are struggling at the bottom of the Western Conference. Not at the bottom, excuse me. The Clippers and the Nuggets are both teams that we expected to be in the top four or five. At least I think that's fair to say. And both of them are uh, mid-table teams when it comes to the playoff picture right now. Do you see a world in the immediate future, let's say the next month, where one of those teams pushes the panic button and trades a star. For Denver, they just locked up uh, Michael Porter Jr. to that long-term contract. I think he was overpaid, but I think he's a very good player. For the Clippers, Kawhi and Paul George have had their differences, and there are many teams that would like to give a cachet of players and picks that are better than what Dallas can give up that would want one of those two pieces. And the Clippers could go back to ways where they had 15 players that were all two NBA 2K overalls away from each other, but they were beating people. Who of those two teams, or either of those two teams, would you see pushing the panic button? Um, I wanted to say the Nuggets at first because last year they pushed the panic button with um, Aaron Gordon. But I feel like it's about time that the Clippers actually do something and actually establish themselves in the Western Conference. And it's, it's, a, it's a long time coming for them. I feel like they can do it. I feel like once they, if, once they get a new piece, they would be just fine, set themselves up for uh, success. But the Nuggets, I feel like Jamal, uh, Jamal um, Murray come back this year? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, once he comes back, I feel like they will be just fine. They'll, they'll find themselves at the uh, top of the West because it doesn't seem like that uh, hard of a division to come up in. By the way, Daniel, and if you have it in front of you, you can spoil it. Can you guess who the second and third leading scorer in the Clippers right now is? I had it in front of me. I don't remember exactly. Is it Eric Bledsoe and Luke Kennard? It is Reggie Jackson Reggie and Eric Jackson. Bledsoe. And it's Eric Bledsoe. Ew! I, lo- I love Tyran Mann. Or Terrence Mann? Terrence Mann, yeah. I do I like Terrence Mann. Terrence I'm not Mann. saying Terrence. I don't like Terrence Mann. I'll tell you what. I was extremely low on him coming out of college. BJ Boston might be a rotation piece at the very least for them going forward. He can get a, he can get you a freaking bucket, man. He was really bad at Kentucky. I like what they've done adding guys through later parts of the draft or undrafted free agency because they went out and got Boston, they've got Terrence Mann, and they've got Amir Coffey in the last three years, and those are three wings that I think you can win playoff games with coming yeah, off I your bench. I love this Is roster. This, by the way, we were talking about liking this roster. That's, I'm not crazy. That's the Justice Winslow. Yeah. And he's averaging two and a half. What in the world happened to Justice Winslow? Remember when the – who was it that – it was the Celtics that were going to trade up for him, and what were they going to trade – Holy fiddlesticks. I feel One like moment, Luke please. Kennard for them has been very blue. Yeah, Kennard, he's a, he's a bucket when I he wants like to. By Luke the way, Kennard. again, I, I take you back to um, Justice Winslow had some unbelievably great years. He had a year. Let me find the right one. He shot 38% from three, averaged 
five rebounds, four assists, and 13 points per game for the Heat. And he's done bang average, bang nothing for this Clippers roster. What you're right, I, Dan, I 100% agree. You look at the pieces, because Luke Kennard can be a bucket if he wants to be. He, uh, they traded uh, uh, Landry Shamit for him, didn't they? No, they didn't. Um, how they get Luke Kennard? Landry Shamit and Luke Kennard have been like traded back and forth for the last three yeah, years. I love Landry Shamit. Uh, the Loved Boston, him when he was on the this is what it is. The Boston piece. Celtics. Great piece for a team. The Boston Celtics in 2015, before they used any of those Nets picks, uh, were reportedly sitting at 16, were ready to offer Charlotte six draft picks, including four future first-rounders, to move up to nine to take Justice Winslow. Holy cow. And Winslow went 10 to the Heat. The Hornets ended up with Frank Kaminsky. The Celtics ended up with Terry Rozier. (laughs) Terry had a couple of good years. Yeah. He's doing well in Charlotte He's doing fine in Charlotte. Last year, he was an animal in Charlotte. He is scary, after all. Uh, I don't love the way the Clippers are playing Terrence, right now. Terrence. I don't like I don't like Marcus Morris, but he's p- underperforming right now. Nicholas Batum they brought in to be a double digit scorer. He's averaging nine point six right now. He's not. I'm sorry, he is shooting the ball well. I apologize. Zubac has been okay. You meant, uh, mentioned Hartenstein. Winslow's got to get going for them. So there's some pieces that I like. Obviously, um, no Kawhi Leonard for the time being, but um, I don't know. I, I I get concerned that those two people are going to be Clippers. It's it's Long a shame term. for me to say for for Justice Winslow, but I get very big Stanley Johnson on the Raptors vibes for him, where this is his last shot. Yeah, he uh, well, he's not playing at all, man. Mm-hmm. I would, I you'd say the same thing as a uh, as a Timberwolves fan. I'd give up nothing for Justice Winslow yeah. right now to run it back. You know, I oh, I don't know what I would, I'd give up Raul Neto in a second round pick. Let's make it happen. Get on the phone. All right. Um, I guess that's going to do it for us. Any th- we talked about our two teams today. Is any any wolf stuff you wanted to slip in under the radar? I mean, they're battling with the the Kings right now, which is going to be a huge uh, a game early in the season when it comes to uh, the way things are going to look for the play in and the back end of the playoffs. Patrick Beverly has been outstanding for this team. Yep. He's come into the starting lineup in the last few games, and they haven't been great. Uh, but he has really started to put some stuff together. He's averaging just shy of eight points, five rebounds, four and a half assists, and he's got 14 tonight uh, against the Kings. He's been defending De'Aaron Fox, and, and I really like uh, what he brings to this team uh, from the point spot. What they need is Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns to both be able to play at a very high level on the same night, and I think part of the problem is D'Angelo Russell. I know. I am one of the biggest D'Angelo Russell haters on the planet when it comes to his ability to play basketball. But he is a man that does not know when to defer. So if Anthony Edwards is having a crazy night like he did putting up 47 against the Golden State Warriors, D'Lo still has to go get his shots, which means Carl Anthony Towns is going to take eight shots like he did that night when Anthony Edwards went and got 47. When Carl Anthony Towns has a big night and he's taking 25 shots... D'Lo still has the mindset that he's got to go get his, and Anthony Edwards doesn't get the touches he needs. So if they can work that out, this is a playoff team easily. If they can work out their problems between the ears and with sharing the ball, this is a playoff team. By the way, speaking of taking shots, hysterical to watch Ricky Rubio coming off of his 37-point performance against the Knicks and take... I think 15 shots, and they were all worse than the previous shots. That is Ricky Rubio... At his fullest potential. See, the Cavs are so bad that we get we get FIBA Ricky for a whole season, the problem, which is amazing. That what bothered me about that game, to speak of the Cavs, is they're 
all of their minutes at the three were split up between Dylan Windler and Dean Wade. That is That's a, amazing. That is a joke. And the Wizards only won that game by like two points. All right, we got to wrap it up. Dan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for all the people that made it possible along the way uh, with Logan and Tanner and Luke and Jacob and Liam and Patrick all the way back to the 6 o'clock hour. And Ben Mackey. And Ben Mackey, by apology. Special thanks, as always, to my co-host, Daniel Woods. If you missed any or part of this show, you can listen to its glory in its entirety uh, in podcast form literally anywhere, including iTunes, we found out today. Literally anywhere podcasts are found. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Sports Page. Brass Bonanza time. WWVU-FM, Morgantown.